one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Thursday, January 31st, and uh, today's a really special episode. I'm super excited. Um, I haven't had a co-host in like over a year on the show. Yeah, since 2009. The show's not been going on that long. Um, no, today's a special guest. It's my good friend Nathan Hawthorne, a former Division One football player, uh, played at Portland State University, a Division One AA school. Um, he's awesome. One of my literally, you're one of my best friends, and I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And so I'm really excited to have you on the show. And I think it's, um, I've just been jazzed about this for like all week. Yeah, excited to be here. We've talked about it quite a bit. So yeah, finally got some time. Both of us have free. <laughs> Let's get it on. I'm. I can I say first? I'm nervous to have another person on because I'm afraid that it's going to go really well. And people are no longer going to like me by myself on the show. <laughs> They're like, man, I love you with a co-host so much. No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, it's great. We have a lot of stuff to talk about today. There's um, some breaking news with Chris Ops Porzingis. We'll talk about the Cowboys' new offensive coordinator. But first, mm-hmm. I want to start with um, a concept of culture. I think culture really matters in sports. Mm-hmm. I know you've had experiences on both sides of it. Uh, and I know I know people in the work like life, uh, the work mm-hmm. in offices where... They have a bad culture in their office, and it really, really hurts them. Mm-hmm. But it's not just stuck in the office and cubicles. It matters in sports, too. We look at the Patriots with a great culture. A bad culture can be equally as bad as a good culture can be good right. in sports. Um, like, for example, if I was going to go play again somewhere in college football, uh, I would choose to go somewhere with a great head coach, a good man, that mm-hmm. has a good culture in place. I think right. underrated schools like Eastern Washington, Utah, Iowa have great cultures that people don't take account for. What are your thoughts on that? I, I just think that... Um, we don't appreciate enough as as athletes or as people who are right. growing up going to play college football or wherever, the idea of a good culture. What is your opinion on that? Does it matter as much as I'm saying? Uh, I absolutely think it does. As much as having talent for your team matters and having like a great scheme and you know whatever the case may be for your program, yeah. if you don't have culture, none of that is going to get applied. None of that is going to be functional. Because to me, culture is everything. If you have... Everybody on the same page making the wrong play, that's better than nobody on the same page, each trying to do a different thing. Uh, let me be clear, too. When I say culture, yeah. I mean leadership. Yeah. You and I played at rival high schools. It's mm-hmm. really fun. We were on national TV together uh, in, a, in a game that we will not bring up today. Ugh, still grinds my gears. Um, you guys You played at choked. Columbia River High School. <laughs> Shut up. I played at Skyview High School. We were not the same. You were far more talented than we were. But we, and we were similarly successful teams. Mm-hmm. But I think... If your team, your athletes had gone to my school, they could have won state. Literally, your team is so much more athletic, more talented than us. We had better coaching. And so when I say culture, I mean leadership sets the tone with great culture. Um, Have you, you, I think, in my opinion, have been a part of some bad cultures in Mm -hmm. life. What's that like? Is it, I don't want to out anything, but do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, and being being a part of a bad culture isn't necessarily a knock on you know, the people around yeah. you or the people yeah. at the top. But Doesn't mean they're bad people. No, not by any means. But a culture has to be consistent. It has to be very specific. And it has to be executed. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? So if yeah. you ha- it's easy to have a culture for a couple of days. Like when fall camp just starts, everybody's excited. You know, they're showing up early. You know, they're staying after to get extra things in. Yeah. And that's great. That's great culture, right? You think those yeah. concepts are going to hold in. But if you're not doing that on a consistent basis and, you know, it gets a couple weeks into the season, you know, people stop showing up. If you're in the film room and instead of being focused and locked in, you know, you're falling asleep. Mm. If you don't have, you know, coaches or even other players, honestly, 
getting on people about you know yeah. doing those extra small things setting the tone exactly then you don't have a consistent culture you don't have a culture that's going to cultivate wins yeah and that's the same thing you're talking about in the work in the workplace you know if you don't have consistent performance or somebody you know demanding that consistent mm-hmm. performance out yeah. of you oh, yeah. or demanding more out of you you know you're not going to get there and that's and that's part of it to me the biggest thing is getting people to understand the why and what they're doing mm. And part of a culture is getting uh, getting players and getting people to understand why am I doing this? Yeah. Why oh, yeah. am I why am I running the route this way? For me as a receiver, you know that's a big deal. Why do I have to run the route this way? You know why can't yeah. I run it this way? You get a coach that can you get a coach or a boss somebody that can explain to you this is how it has to be done so that the rest of the offense can function. Or as a quarterback, you know why am I making this read as an offensive lineman? You know. Why are we blocking mm-hmm. this scheme? Just yeah. things like that. Why? If you can answer the why and you can get players inspired, like they're going to run through a brick wall for you. Oh, yeah. If you give them the why, they'll do anything. Well, uh, I heard something recently where a, a guy, I can't remember who it was, someone was talking about what it means to lose a locker room. And when you lose a locker room, it means that the veterans no longer buy in. The older guys, the seniors, the juniors, the 10 year vet in the NFL no longer believes in the coach's message. Yeah. And that means why it doesn't matter. They don't believe in the coach. Um, right. I want to read a story to you, and I really, I don't know if, I don't know if this is, I think it's indicative of a bad culture, but I'm going to read a story that happened to Pat McAfee. He's a great broadcaster, former Colts punter. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a story to you, and I want your opinion on it. For the brand. (laughs) He's great. I I love it, but I can't tell if, I look at this, and I think there's two sides to this story. I'll read it to you what happened. Um, The Colts had just lost a horrible game to the Steelers. They got blown out really, really Mm -hmm. badly. And Ryan Grigson, the former Colts general manager, I read the story the other day. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Okay. Ryan Grigson called Pat McAfee in for a meeting and said, sit down, son, and was very stern and very mad at him. And he said that the reason why the Steelers, uh, the reason why the Colts were losing is because of things like what Pat McAfee did. He took a picture uh, in a, an equipment room, which is a football room technically by the Colts standard, and took an Instagram picture, posted it online. Ryan Grigson took a huge offense, said that you're the reason why we're losing. This isn't okay. You took a picture in a football room. I'm going to find you a full game check, over $100,000, and basically said, this whole thing, this is why we're losing. What What was the picture of? It was just Pat McAfee standing on a thing. There was like a thing hanging from the ceiling. I'll put a picture of it on the podcast. Okay. Like a, like a WWE commentator holding a thing from the ceiling. Oh, okay. Yeah. not a, It's fun. Not a big okay. deal. doesn't distract from anything. Um, and I, I look at two sides of this going, well, look, I understand why you have a rule. You got to enforce the rule. Right. And maybe... Pat McAfee wouldn't work in the Patriots culture, but that's not the reason why the Colts were losing to the Steelers. No. And when Pat McAfee heard that, that's he says in an article, this is why I quit the NFL. I realized I was tired of working for leadership I didn't believe in. Yes. And you tell me that we're losing because of this? You're an idiot. You're wasting all of our time. You're finding me money I don't deserve. <laughs> yeah. It's just stupid. Um, and the last part I want to mention is as Pat McAfee walks out of the office, Ryan Grigson, the guy who got fired. By the way, Ryan Grigson was not a good uh, general manager. He really mm-hmm. ruined the Colts roster before John Ballard came in, uh, Chris Ballard, excuse me. Yep. Um, but he said, as he's leaving, Ryan Grigson goes, get out of my office. And he's already like out the door and he says, already gone. <laughs> Just petty. <laughs> right. Am I wrong? Is that indicative of bad culture? That's indicative of a culture in panic mm. when you don't have an identity. And like you said, you've lost the locker room. Yeah. And when you lose the locker room, you know, players aren't, they don't understand the why anymore. They're not listening and they don't, necessarily want to participate in the way that you want them to to clarify yeah. there's a the colts had a rule that said you can't take a picture in a football room right 
and I I understand mm-hmm. the the reasoning behind it. I what I don't actually I don't know the reasoning behind it, but I understand if you have a rule, enforce it. Right. That's fine. You're at that point, you're taking that picture because you don't have respect for the rules anymore, mm. which means that you're not bought in. Well, what, how do you and, define and, a football and it's room? Simple as that. How do you define a football room? Maybe because I think part of Pat McAfee's argument was this is an equipment room. I guess there's a football right. in there makes it a football room, but right. But it's it's a room that's designed for the function of bettering or helping mm. or participating yeah. for the football team. So that's considered a football room. This you know minutia, I mean? and, and so I guess you could say he knew what he was doing was technically breaking a rule. Right, and, and there's a bunch of ways you could go about it. Well, technically, or technically this, technically that. But to me, it's happening, and he's taking that picture because he he decided that he, he just doesn't care. Yeah, and it's not that he's a bad guy or he doesn't care. It's just obviously the culture wasn't enforced on a regular basis. Yeah, well, or I, the yeah. culture you know didn't exist, or was it, mm. or it was a culture that they didn't respect and things like that. So 100% they didn't respect when it. When that comes to the deal and then your general manager comes to you and says, you know, this is why we're losing games. It's, you know, not just because the punter's not bought in. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's players, veterans, rookies, everybody not buying into whatever system that is. It's like it's like I said before, if everybody's bought in and it's the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. You're going to find more success than a few people believing your veterans not, a couple of them do. And yeah. it's just... A mixed thing because then that also creates a rift between the players. Yeah, and once you have a rift between the players, now you're really struggling, and that's when you lose the locker room. Is when Mm. you have a locker room that's divided. I've heard people talk about coaches that they don't believe. I've heard people say this ex coach is a bad coach, Mm -hmm. but we like him as a person. How does that happen? I don't understand that. Like they'll say in meetings, this guy's really funny, but we hate his staff. We don't like his analysis of our play, Uh and we don't like the way he coaches us. How can that be that people can like the guy but not like him as a coach? That's is that a real thing? I think that's a very real thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can have a very very funny coach or a coach that you relate with on a personal level. Yeah. But are they teaching you football? Are they executing their job? Yeah. And are they expecting you to execute your job as well? Yeah. Because coaching and being a player is a two-way street. They're going to give you a scheme. It's your job to execute it, right? Yeah. And it's their job to evaluate you and understand what your limitations are, what you're best at, and then create a scheme that's going to mesh. So if they want to put their scheme in and, like, we're doing this, no questions asked, this is how we have to do it, there's no other way around it, when you don't necessarily maybe have players who are capable of doing that or they have strengths in other ways, now you're looking as a player like, okay, but, you know, that's not my strength. You know, could we – you know, try and do this, maybe play off. Like, I'm really good at running this route, or we block, you know, this run game very well. Yeah. So, like, can we do that? No. Like, we're running it this way. It has to be done this way. You guys need to learn that. Well, coaching's not one size fit all, right? It's, no, not at all. A good coach looks at what is, what are my, like, Sean McVay does this with the Rams. Mm-hmm. What are my guys really good at? How do I get them the most out of them? Exactly. And they change the offense to fit the players rather than saying, here's our offense, learn our offense, you better be able to do it. Exactly. Uh, and that's with the way NFL's changed. That's why young quarterbacks are more successful now in the NFL. Because coaches are finding ways, like with uh, Bill O'Brien mm-hmm. and Deshaun Watson. So Deshaun Watson has this great skill set. I'm not going to make him run the same offense as Tom Brady. No. That'd be a waste. You have a lot of talent that you don't want to uh, lose. Exactly. And waste, basically. Um, I think it's interesting. You look at the Steelers. Uh, this is the last thing I want to say about Colts. I didn't mean to talk this long, but I think it's a fascinating yeah, discussion. Um the Patriots have made it to the Super Bowl again. I mean, this is their ninth. I think is their ninth time, eighth time with Tom Couldn't Brady. Even tell you. It's it's ridiculous the the, the mm-hmm. history they've been, and you look at a team like the Patriots who are not as talented, 
and the Steelers, who are far more talented but don't have the same level of success as the Patriots in recent years. Um, and I think it's interesting. It's a clear, there's a clear distinction and difference in culture between the Steelers and the Patriots. Right. But we saw this offseason, the Patriots had a bunch of turmoil, and people said they lost locker room, notably in Belichick. Mm-hmm. And I, I never bought it. And I think it, the truth was the veterans always believed in Belichick because they knew why they were doing what they were doing. Exactly, because you win. Yeah. We're here to win a Super Bowl. We're here to do this and get to this game. We're not, you're not in the NFL. NFL is a business. You're not there to have fun. You're not there to go hang out with your boys in the dorm room. Yeah. Stay up until 2 a.m. Oh, now we got 6.30 workouts. We're going to yeah. drive through it and have a good time laughing with each other, scraping by, paying rent kind of deal. The NFL is a business. Yeah. And you talk about one of those players like Chad Johnson. When he went to the Patriots, he has an interview on it um, where he just talks about it is different. When yeah. you walk into a Patriots facility, the expectation is set. It's demanded of you. And if you don't execute, you're out. And they have no problem removing somebody who doesn't want to be a part of their culture. I think the fact the Patriots got to the Super Bowl this year is remarkable. I mean, remember all the problems they had? No, no hold on. They had all these problems. The media kept pushing a lot of stuff. They, they brought in Josh Gordon. He didn't mm-hmm. work. There was They lost their late, great left tackle. There were all these things that went wrong on paper for the Patriots, and they still overcame it. Right. That's that's culture. That's the power of having a great system in place where players understand why right. and other players can step up and fill the roles of a great left tackle that leaves or another wide receiver who retires or right. Rob Gronkowski slows down, next man up. Exactly. And it's the next man up mentality in addition to demanding, you know, everything out of every single player. And it's not just your starters that you're looking to at practice. It's your backups. It's your third strings. It's yeah. your guys on the practice squad. So in the event that somebody does does go down, you've got somebody to replace. And, of course, there's going to be a drop-off. There's a reason the guy was a starter for a reason. Yeah. But when you have somebody who can step in and at the bare minimum can execute what you're supposed to do, he may not be as talented, but yeah. if he can execute, then you're going to be in good shape. You want, I think I have a bunch of stats I want to read about the Patriots. I think we can do that after we talk about the Super Bowl. Okay. I want to talk about the matchup between the Patriots and the Rams. Mm-hmm. I look at it on paper and say the Rams are far more talented. Am I crazy? I think I think that the Rams have a, a more talented roster with more star players, and the Patriots are a lot more mundane. But it's a it's scheme versus scheme and belief versus star players. Look at Marcus Peters, right? A key to leave. The Patriots don't have players like Andomic and Sue and Aaron Donald. They have Tom Brady and Agent Gronkowski and Julian Edelman. All right, I mean. Stuff. People think that a lot of fans are saying, I believe in the Patriots are going to win. Uh-huh. Some of it because they're mad about the Ram- the way the Rams won. I think on paper, if you're honest about football, the Rams are a far better roster. They should win this game on, on paper solely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's weird that we find the Patriots. I don't know if they're an underdog or not. A lot of people are picking the Patriots to win. Uh, I think it's very interesting. I don't know the Patriots should be just automatically assumed the favorite because they're the Patriots. Right. What do you think is going to happen in the Super Bowl? I think the Patriots are going to win. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and and that's my opinion. And part of it um, is scheme and experience between Belichick and Brady, which is mm. kind of the common thing most people have been talking about. Yeah. You know, you know, McVay and Goff are only half their age when you put it together. Yeah. And although that's important, you know, both teams are in the Super Bowl for a reason. Yeah. I mean, all, albeit the Rams got there, you can call it sketchy, you can call it whatever you want. They're there. They yeah. went. They he he beat Drew Brees. Yeah. One of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. You don't accidentally beat Drew Brees. No, you don't. Whether you that don't. play happens or not. Exactly. But, you know, the Rams, I agree, are more talented in terms of star players. And, yes, I think that's going to be a factor. Yeah. But I think the efficiency that, 
you know, the Patriots offense operates with is going to not necessarily overwhelm the Rams defense. Yeah. But I think both teams are talented on the defensive end and it's going to come down to who can execute better on offense. Mm. And in my opinion, since Cooper Cup has exited the Rams yeah. towards injury, ACL, yeah. Right. Jared Goff hasn't been successful. Or I shouldn't say hasn't, hasn't been, been as su- he's, as he's not as good as he was because yeah. Cup's ability to get open and understand a multitude of different defenses and how to get yeah. open against them, it opens up your offense, it opens up the other receivers, and yeah. it, and it just makes you better. I mean, have you uh, Robert Woods was talked about a lot at the beginning of the season. You're playing with Cooper Cup on the other side, yeah, and so you know you move on from there. Like, how has Robert Woods performed towards the end of the season? And then that also changes your run game when you don't have that guy who's always open over the middle or open at the hook. Those linebackers, they don't have to worry about it as much. They can participate in the run game. Well, Cooper Cup was Jared Goff's security blanket. On third exactly. down, when he needs a play, that's who he went to. Exactly. And so when you don't have that security blanket, you don't have that receiver who is always there. And although you have a running back as great as Todd Gurley is, if yeah. the defense doesn't have to worry about Cooper Cup, it makes it way, way easier to you know lock down Todd Gurley, which is very, very hard to do. Yeah, but the Saints were successful. It's possible. Ram- yeah, and the Rams had to turn to C.J. Anderson. If you look at the way, I think what's going to happen in this game. I look at matchups. Mm-hmm. The way you beat Tom Brady is with a pass rush. The way you beat Jared Goff is make him beat you. I, I think at this point of the year, if I was Bill Belichick, the way I would approach the Rams, the, the game plan against the Rams, I would say we're going to stop Todd Gurley because what the Bill Belichick historically does. It takes away the thing you do best. He takes away your best player. He's going to take away Todd Gurley. He's going to hit him two times a play. Yes. And so he's going to say, okay, we'll take away Todd Gurley. You Play action won't work. Your running game won't be as... I'm sure they're going to still put up yards running. It's still Todd Gurley. But we're going to focus on that. We're going to make Jared Goff beat us with his arm. And I don't know that Jared, especially without Cooper Cup, late in the season, he's really waned. He really struggled against the Cowboys, which is understandable. Great defense. He played okay against the Saints. Good enough to win, but I don't... I don't know that Jared Goff alone is enough to beat this with his arm, beat the Patriots with his arm. Yeah, from the first nine games of the season, um, what what was the game? I believe it was against the Chiefs. It was Chiefs Rams. Yes, Monday Night Football. Oh, that game was absolutely my buddy Samson insane. had two touchdowns. It was right. awesome. So since that game, and you know, since Jared Goff was in the MVP conversation, yeah, he just kind of disappeared from it. His play kind of fell off. And yep. again, we don't want to blame it all on the lack of Cooper Cup. Yeah. But I think they people figured out the Rams offense and it got schemed against. And, you know, people are continuing to, you know, evolve and how to stop the Rams offense. The way to beat Jared Goff, I've learned I watch a lot of film on Jared mm-hmm. Goff, and I made a video about this earlier in the year. If you want to beat Jared Goff, you have to hit him and make him uncomfortable in the pocket. You ever been in at in a mall at Christmas when it's really busy? It's it's very for me, I get very uncomfortable when there's that many people around me. Driving in a right. traffic is just weird. It's it's and you're not comfortable when there's bodies all around you. When bodies around Jared Goff, you don't necessarily have to sack Jared Goff. When there are people biting at your ankles and hitting your shoulder and touching you, mm-hmm. he, his, his accuracy and his mechanics fall off a cliff. He's not the same quarterback. And so if you want to be Jared Goff, you get pressure on him. You make him uncomfortable in the pocket. And that's what people figured out later in the year. That's how you beat Jared Goff is you slow him down with bodies around him. Right. Um, Just make him uncomfortable in the pocket. And you can yeah. say that about a lot of quarterbacks, making them uncomfortable in the pocket. Yep. Um, one thing you mentioned about Tom Brady, you know, the key to beating him is you got to get the pass rush on him. Yeah. Brady gets the ball off too quick for that half yeah. the time. And yep. Brady will take a sack before he takes a hit. Yeah. So he'll, he'll drop down yep. and, and avoid taking that extra <laughs> hit. And he's like, all right, I'm fine. Or he gets it off so quick. It's very, very hard 
to have a consistent yeah. pass rush when you're busting off the ball like you think you're getting to him and the ball is already out for a nine yard completion every think, single time and you just yeah. you oh, get yeah. sick and tired of coming off the ball yeah and you know um, that's what makes the Patriots so annoying. <laughs> and they, Tom Brady, so annoying. he gets the ball <laughs> off so quick. Yeah. You get there, like, I can't sack this dude. I it's can't unbelievable. Get my, yeah. You can't get to him. The way the Rams have the pieces in uh, the pieces you need to beat Tom Brady. If you look at the Giants when they beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. they built a template where if you can get pressure on Tom Brady with a four man rush, not sending any, not blitzing any extra people, but mm-hmm. doing your base defense and hitting Tom Brady, you can beat him. The Rams have the people in place to do that. They have Aaron Donald at defensive tackle. They have Indomit and Sue. They have some really mm-hmm. solid people off the right. I can't remember the guy they got from the Jaguars. Um, they've brought a new defensive end in midseason okay. through a trade. They have the players to hit Tom Brady and get pressure with a four-man rush. The problem is I don't think the Patriots' game plan is going to be the same we've seen in recent years. They're far more run-heavy. They're going to dominate time of possession. And again, like you mm-hmm. said, get the ball out really quick. If you if you dominate, have long eight minute drives, throw three step drops, very quick, get the ball out. That game plan, I don't know what that works anyways. And to me, I don't think people realize the Patriots' ability to take advantage of matchups. Mm. Patriots are masters at taking advantage of matchups. There's very few teams that you can see that will go, you know, six linemen, two tight ends, a fullback, and a running back, and they'll just run power eye right down your throat. And the next play, all of a sudden, it's four wide. And those substitutions happen so quick, a lot of times the defensive coordinators or the defense itself isn't ready to make a substitution to deal with the next package, vice versa. They're experts at getting Edelman with slower safeties or slower linebackers if they end up being in man defense. They're great at getting, uh, what's his name, Chris Hogan open against cover three. Chris Hogan is one of the best receivers against a cover three scheme. The way he runs his route and his intelligence against it. Yeah, and you have Sean McDaniel's, who's a great offensive coordinator who knows how Josh to pick. McDaniels. Yeah, Josh yeah. McDaniel. Yeah. Sorry about that. Why does it say Sean McDaniel? Sean McVay. You got them. Yeah, no yeah. worries. It, you just have such a their scheme is just so intelligent in the way they operate. It's not yeah. about and it, it's not about having the best players. It's about having the guys who can execute. And Edelman, we we shouldn't act like he's not an excellent receiver. <laughs> no, he's great because he gets open and he knows how to get open and yeah. he knows where. And Tom Brady expects him to be somewhere. He's there, and it's the same mm. deal with Gronk. It's the same thing with Hogan, and could have been the same thing with Josh Gordon. I think it's sad if he didn't. Yeah, if he didn't have a couple of issues, but his abil- their ability to take advantage of matchups on a play to play basis is just incredible. There's a real storyline here. Um, you talked about the Patriots' ability to take advantage of matchups. Mm-hmm. We all know what happened in the NFC Championship game. There was a non call pass interference. Pass interference was committed. It just wasn't called. Yeah. And uh, Nick Courtney, Nickel Roby, I believe is Nickel Roby Courtney. I can't remember his name. Something mm-hmm. like that. Admitted, I committed pass interference. That's, I think pass interference calls is going to be a big theme of this Super Bowl because the refs were made to look like fools. And the mm-hmm. refs in the Super Bowl do not want that to happen again. No. And so I think it's very possible. A, if, if that guy comes in the game, I'm, I'm throwing the ball at him. I'm attacking him. And we all know who, do you know who Marcus Peters is? Yes, of, um, well, of course. You, you know do. Peters. They might not listen to the podcast. Marcus That's Peters true. is a historically undisciplined corner. And what I mean is he makes great plays, but he'll, he'll risk a lot to go get an interception. Feeds right into the Patriots. Yes. And so you're going to attack Marcus Peters. You're going to attack Courtney Nickel Roby. Nickel Roby Courtney, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. You're going to attack that guy. And I, I really, truly believe that pass interference and 
weird play calls and some outside play by the Rams is they have great players. Aqib Tlaib is very disciplined, but I think it's actually a weakness because of what happened in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, you think they're going to be there? You think there will be more pass interference calls? Yeah, the Rams put a target on their back. Wouldn't you think? I mean, the refs are going to be very, very careful in this game because of the way public reception looks, I would think, right? And mm-hmm. they don't want to ma- be made to look like fools again by the Rams. The Rams got one over on them right. and made the refs look bad two weeks ago. I see I see a lot of late flags coming. Mm. I see, you know, the play happening, the ref sitting there, hand in his hip, looking at his friends. Do we? Do we? And if there's any, uh, yeah, we'll if there's it. a doubt, benefit of the, if there's a doubt, they'll throw it. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that makes it difficult, but I think that's ultimately what's going to end up happening. Yeah. And if you ask me, I, it's like a better late than never type deal. Yeah. I would rather have the ref uh, from an offensive and honestly from a defensive perspective. I'd rather have him hang on to it for a second, think about it, and then throw it. Because there's a lot of times where they just yeah. throw the They're very trigger happy. Yeah, from 90 yards away, and they didn't even <laughs> see the contact, or they yeah. just saw hand fighting, which is allowed. They didn't. You know, and they throw it premature. Yeah. There's another thing that matters is the fact the Patriots have been to Super Bowl. They've their roster's been to the Super Bowl before. The Rams have not been to the, a team like this. They have like four players that have played in a Super Bowl before, something like the that. Rams? The Rams, yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and the Patriots is like the opposite. It's like all but four. Everybody been on that thing. Yeah, and and not just that. Even the guys that haven't, the culture's built around. We've been to this game before. I want to ask. I want to make a comparison. You played a game at Autzen Stadium last year. You played for Portland State. You played at or University of Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon, at Autzen Stadium. That's a big game for a Portland State team. That's a really big, huge. It's it's like a Super Bowl like level experience. I'm sure guys are nervous. And if you haven't been there before, is that a real thing? Because I I look at the Rams. If I, I want to say this for a minute first, is that the Rams might be nervous. Mm-hmm. The Patriots have been there before. Everyone gets nervous for the Super Bowl, but the Patriots might get more comfortable more quick. Uh, might get yeah. comfortable more quickly. Is that really when you played at Oregon? Mm-hmm. Was your team nervous? Do you think nerves played a part early in that game? And how do you figure that out? I think we were honestly more nervous during warmups mm. for that game, just because you walk out there and yeah. you're sitting down on Richbrook's field. You got everybody <laughs> like up in Ots and like people come early to watch the Ducks warm up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's just so much energy around it, and that's cool. But by the time you come out of the tunnel, like you're just competing. And, you know, there's some, there, yeah, there's some nerves, but, you know, a lot of it's just like the butterflies you get before every game. Yeah. Yeah. As there are more people watching but at the same time, football is football. Yeah. And what Barnum and Nigel Burton did a great job of doing when they've been coaching is we play FBS teams a lot. Yeah. And we, yep. and so. Be Washington State recently. Yeah. It'd be a couple of years ago. Yep. Um, and then, you know, we played UW a couple of years ago. We played Nevada before we played Oregon. Yeah. Uh, we played North Texas. Um Trying to think of who else You've we been played. In big games yeah, we played. FBS we played schools. BYU exactly. Yeah, and yeah, so, you did. I, I watched that game on TV. Yeah, and so we have that experience, and a lot of the players, just like we're talking about, they've you know we've seen and we've played FBS yeah. level teams. So you played more the Patriots role where you'd been there before, right? N- not in quite the same way, mm. but it's the same concept of you know we've seen it before. We've seen big crowds, full stadiums. Yeah, so it's not that star striking anymore. Yeah. When there are, so like a freshman comes, if a senior's done that before uh-huh. and a freshman's nervous, does that help to have older veteran players who are able to say, hey man, here's how it's going to go? Does that help to have guys who've done it before? It definitely helps to have guys who have done it before. Yeah. Is that uh, a disadvantage for the Rams then because they haven't been there before? I, I don't think they'll be. Because people say. I don't think they'll be nervous. Historically, people say, no matter, like, 
The Super Bowl is just a different game. Yeah. They, they're fine all through the playoffs. They've never been nervous. And they get to the Super Bowl. It's bigger. It's brighter. They've lived their whole lives waiting for this moment. Yeah. And they, they, they shit bricks, to be honest. They, they fall it's, apart. I mean, it is the one game that matters. Yeah. Like, when you finally when you finally make it there, like, that is the last game of the season. There's no next week. Like, this gets you a ring. This gets you notoriety. Yeah. Gives you a shot to get in the Hall of Fame, kind of depending on who you are. Like, the Super Bowl, you're right. It's just such a different game. It's like yeah. the college football playoffs. Yeah. Like, you play in the first round, like, you might have been there before. But when you get to the national championship, it's a completely different experience. Game. Matters, yeah. So let's let's determine now: is it is it help the does it help the Patriots? They've been there before, and does it hurt the Rams? It helps the Patriots that they've been there before. I don't think it hurts the Rams as much as other people are probably going to think. Okay, interesting. I think that they have football is football. I think that yeah, I think they have enough experience. You know, just from being NFL players. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it'll actually be interesting to see. I'm not really sure how to answer that one for the it's Rams. Okay, yeah. well, that's a storyline to watch. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to say is uh, about the Super Bowl is that it's been really fun to watch Tom Brady in interviews. He's he's very coy and very different than we've seen before. Mm-hmm. He there was an interview with Jared Goff where the guy said, "What would advice would you give Jared Goff?" He goes, "I'm not giving Jared Goff any advice." <laughs> and then he was talking about LeBron James and made a joke. He's like, "Me and LeBron are very similar athletes," and like he just is very comfortable and relaxed. Mm-hmm. And we saw last year he's been in Super Bowl three years in a row. Last year in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady had something to prove. He had like this, he was angry. He appeared to me. He was mm-hmm. not as relaxed and open. This is a different Tom Brady we've seen before. And maybe he's reached a point where he's emotionally mature enough to say, I don't need to be the underdog to still have fire and still be competitive. Um, I, I, I'm just wondering, I think that might be a strength for Tom Brady is he's comfortable. He's got nothing to lose anymore. He's old. He's been here before. He's got what, five rings? Yeah, he's not, he's not, yes. We're not seeing angry Tom Brady we've seen in the past. I don't think. Oh, I mean, if you look at it at their what I like that press conference they had before they mm-hmm. took off. I mean, yeah. he's sitting there screaming, "We're still here!" Yeah. And the the Patriots this year, um, like you said, they were you were surprised that they made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they've kind of adopted this underdog mentality this year. Yeah, you know what I mean. But don't they always have like Brady always has that, doesn't he? I mean, they always tell him, you know, Julian Edelman. There's you know from the game. Uh, Wow, against the Chiefs, you know, he's mm-hmm. running by him like that's a great ball. You know, you're too old, kind of deal. Yeah, um, they like that chip on their shoulder. Yeah, they want it. You always want to have a chip on your shoulder. You always have something to prove. And to me, I think it's Tom Brady kind of deflecting how he feels in terms of yeah, you know, like he actually is kind of an underdog. If like you talked about, you look at the rosters, Rams win on paper. Would his comfort be terrifying if I'm the Rams and I see Tom Brady? Th- so in that interview. He talked about, I'm not going to help Jared Goff. And he, he just mm-hmm. gave credit to the Rams. That they have the best defensive line in football, a right. bunch of great players. He talked them up. If I'm a Rams player and I see how comfortable Tom Brady is right now, I'm terrified. Do you feel that way too? Like I, I would be like, ooh, he's, it's still Tom Brady. And it's he's just got a different level of comfort than we've seen in the past. I don't think most of them are paying attention to it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of players are going to shut out media or shut yeah. out Do they really? know, anything you that's think, not like, that. Like it if they write an article about you, do you read it? Yeah, yeah, of course. But all right, about myself, yeah, because I want to see how I'm. Portrayed. What about Portland State football? Well, if I'm probably involved in it, yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's that's your team, yeah. right? When they talk about it, but when you know they write an article on Tom Brady, Aaron Donald's not reading that. Mm. He's like, I could yeah. care less. That's their team about what they. Yeah, that's their team. You're mm. focused on you. You're watching extra film. You're trying to figure out how to get every edge. You could care less what people say in an interview. Yeah. Unless it's like a Marcus Peters situation from, you know, weeks ago where he's like, yeah, keep talking that. 
kind of deal where it's like a, where you get like a sound bite where you get a specific quote that can really like fire somebody up. If it's yeah. not that, then they don't care. Mm. So we we're agreed being like Patriots are going to win. Uh, I think it's a disadvantage for the Rams. Their their youth. Their uh, I think a disadvantage schematically so, somewhat, which is weird to say because Sean McVay's whole offense is a scheme is, right. is a big deal. But I think the way that the Patriots defense will play the Rams offense um, was going to limit Todd Gurley, take him away, make Jared Goff beat him with his arm. Uh, I think we're in agreement. The Patriots going to win. Do you have anything left to say about the Super Bowl in general? I'd say watch out for Robert Woods. Why? You're a college receiver. Why? What do you, why do you say that? I think his threat over the top. And I don't think the Patriots have the corners. So he's a Rams wide receiver. Yeah, Just yeah, he's, a, he's a Rams wide receiver. I think that he's going to have a breakout game. Interesting. Uh, over I the top, just, vertically. Over, over the top, over the middle. Um, I just think he's going to have a game yeah. because I I do think that in order to take away the run game, you're going to have to play a lot of man defense. It's going to be man to man. Yeah. And I think Robert Woods is a talented enough receiver, and you have Goff, who's a talented enough quarterback you know, to be kind of on the same page yeah. with each other. And I think he's going to make plays. So the way the Patriots are going to play it, they're going to take away Todd Gurley, say, Jared Goff, beat us with your arm. Mm-hmm. And he just might by throwing to Robert Woods. To over Robert the top, Woods. Beating man coverage. And you, you can't forget about Brandon Cooks either. So having, <laughs> And he played for the Patriots. He's, he's yeah, hungry too. Exactly. Like. So, you know, Brandon Cooks is going to have something to prove. Yeah. And I think Belichick is probably going to have something a little extra dialed up for Brandon Cooks, just as like yeah. a little jab to the ribs type deal yeah so that's why i think it's going to end up being robert woods as a savior for yeah. the rams and, and if people don't know brandon cooks played for the patriots quote me on that last season quote me on that robert woods gonna have a great game yeah awesome man uh i think i'm ready to move on it's, it's really interesting I am too. um i want to sick of this <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of good stuff ahead we'll talk about the cowboys offensive coordinator we'll talk about chris Alps porzingis i also want to say briefly this show has been far less consistent than it was earlier in the year i've been going through a personal thing uh in my life where i don't my future is uncertain. I don't know where I'm going to go. I, I left college. I had a plan for next, like my next step, and it hasn't worked out. And it's been very like crippling for me as a person. I, I want to just address the audience. It's weird for me that the show has only been like once a week for the last couple of weeks. I haven't been able to write. <laughs> I've been really, I've never experienced something where having a positive attitude couldn't get me out of it before. Um, and I've just been like in a, a, a weird place of limbo, waiting for something out of my control to align so I can figure out what I'm doing next. And figure out where I'm going to live in a month. And it's been like we're in this room. And I don't think people realize I make podcasts out of my bedroom. I get people commenting all the time. I hate your background, the stupid wall. I'm like, dude, I'm in a dorm room. I'm in my bedroom. Like, You could at least get like a tapestry or something. I think it looks worse. I've tried it. I've tried green screen. It just all looks bad. I'd rather just be honest about this is a bedroom. <laughs> like, I agree with that. But I still think if you got the right tapestry, maybe we can go shopping after this and find you possibly. one. Possibly. Can you describe the room? Because I don't think people understand. Like, for them listening, I've never like explained what the room looks like. What do you see in this room? Like, describe it to people listening. I see shelves with uh, a few random things on it. Um, I see all of your camera equipment, a mattress behind that camera equipment. <laughs> so the mattress is with, against the wall. Yeah, with a box screen <laughs> or the box spring next to it. Yeah. To the left of like the monitors that we're on, yeah. you've got your closet. Yeah, people. I sleep on the and floor. A few things in there. Like, so. People don't realize. I my room is a studio, not a bedroom. <laughs> right. I sleep on the f- carpet floor at night because I'm weird and I'd rather I'd rather have a studio than a bed. Yeah, you might be a psychopath. I'm, I'm a psychopath. You're a psychopath. Undoubtedly. Um, um, there's a weird painting that looks like it was up here. Not really yours though, but it's still in mine. here. No. And then two looks like 17th century ladles. 
on the wall. Big uh, spoons. Yeah, that's, no, that's fine. This is terrible. Let's move on. Um, let's talk about Kristaps Porzingis. Kristaps uh, Porzingis, a, a star player for the New York Knicks, was just traded to the Dallas Mavericks today. Um, it's a weird trade because the Dallas Mavericks gave up a lot for Kristaps Porzingis. The Dallas Mavericks um, are giving up point guard Dennis Smith, a second-year uh, point guard, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. They're giving Wesley Matthews to the New York Knicks. They're giving DeAndre Jordan to the New York Knicks. And the Dallas Mavericks are also giving the Knicks a likely first-round draft pick. Um, what the Knicks are receiving, what the Dallas Mavericks are receiving, are Chris Ops Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Courtney Lee. It's been very controversial. In a world of hot world of hot takes, a lot of people have said the Knicks are idiots or the Dallas Mavericks are amazing. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and, and I want your opinion. Is this a big deal? Is it not? Um, are the Knicks idiots for trading away Kristaps Porzingis, in your opinion? I don't think they're idiots. I just think both teams kind of moved laterally mm-hmm. for the most part. I wow. don't if anything if anybody won the trade, I do think the Knicks did. Getting DeAndre Jordan an excellent rim protector. Because Knicks fans, by the way, Knicks fans are furious. I don't mean to cut you off. Knicks fans are like so mad they lost Kristaps. That's cool. You can like Kristaps Porzingis, but <laughs> he averages seventeen point eight points per game, so rounded up to eighteen, seven boards and like what, three assists. He's played in seventy two games his first season. 66 the second season and 48 in his third so he's and consistently he's, injured yeah and you know he's not going to be back he's going to be reevaluated this february he got injured last february oh. so his reevaluation reevaluation isn't even coming until a full year later yeah and so you look at how many games he's missed his first three years and how many he's going to miss this year yeah you know is it really worth it so you're saying the knicks didn't lose a lot by getting rid of Kristaps. they lost a, a historically injured player historically injured player and I think somebody who, if they don't change their style of game, is going to continue to get injured. So he's messed around with like knee tweaks, has had a lot of ankle injuries and lower back pain. So that yeah. tells you that he hasn't strengthened his core well enough, and he's not developing his game to play more stationary. Somebody he can learn from, Dirk Nowinski. Dirk Nowinski is also a seven-footer who's made a career off of just a simple turnaround jumper. Yep. He's not flashy. He's not trying to cross you up with handles like a guard. He plays strong, fundamental, you could call old man's game basketball. And that's why he's successful. That's why he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And that's why he's playing in his 20th year. So you think that Kristaps learning from Dirk can help him extend his career by playing less like a, a small guard and more like a big man and, and have longevity with his body? Because he's 7'3". Yes, absolutely. I mean, the only one of the few, very, 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 very few seven-footers can ever play that way. Kevin Durant. Yeah, Kevin, you got Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan is incredible, but they're not like 7'3". Yeah, 7'3 is huge. And they're not built as thick as Kristaps is. Yeah, DeAndre Jordan is much more cut and fit, but Kristaps, he's a heavy dude at 7'3". Yeah. It's not like he's Kevin Durant, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so if he does... It's hard on the knees. It's hard on your joints. It's very, very hard on the knees. And Yao Ming being, what, 7'6 or 7'7"? 7'6", I think, And he played a very conservative game, but it's just having the weight and that impact on your knees does damage to your body. Whether you like it or not, being tall sucks. So you see Dirk with the the Mavericks transitioning kind of from a a player to a player coach. I think it's it's interesting, too. You know, you have Luka Doncic with the the Mavericks, a a European player. Mm -hmm. You have... Uh, Dirk Nowitzki there. You have now Luke, you have Christoph Sporzingis coming in. Yeah, three in Euros Europe. on one team. And, and what people don't understand, if, if you're not from Europe, I'm not from Europe, but I have friends from Europe, they talk about he, Dirk Nowitzki is a hero to European basketball players. Yeah. And so if you're Christoph's getting to play on the same team with Dirk and Luca, I think that really would be an exciting move for him. And I think it would help 
Kristaps is more likely to resign in Dallas than with New York because right. of Dirk's influence, because of Luca. Right. And I think, to me, I think Porzingis plays like he wants to be a Luca type player mm. who can play more. Wants to be a guard. Hit a step back. Yeah, yeah. that kind of deal. Um, to me, what and why I say the trade kind of went laterally for um, Dallas is they lost. You know, Wesley, Wesley yeah. Matthews, one of their best defenders. I think he was a little bit overpaid, but he's one of the best mm. all on-ball defenders. You get rid of Dennis Smith Jr., who is one of the most athletic freaks I've ever seen, but I think he has one of the highest ceilings for players who are just entering the NBA. Yeah. Um, and you get rid of DeAndre Jordan, who you lost two years ago, were able to re-sign this <laughs> most recent year, paid him a dumb amount of money, and now you're just willing to let him go for Kristaps, who, again, is just injury-prone. So you're losing your rim protector, your 15-plus board-a-night guy, and you're kind of hanging that on the hat of a player that you already have, being Kristaps and Dirk, very similar. And you're kind of you're hanging a lot, a lot, a lot on Kristaps coming back from injury and Luka turning into the next LeBron James. Interesting. And maybe yeah. – and, and part of it is, you know, they're getting rid of those contracts that are also about to expire. Yeah. But – yeah, DeAndre what, Jordan's yeah, contract what will you, expire. Yeah, what so are you, Yeah, so what are you like? What are you really doing? Like their contracts were expiring anyways. Yeah, and you weren't. You're not required to keep them or resign them. Yeah. So where you're uh, saying what did the Mavericks actually? I don't mean to cut you off too. I'm no, so yeah, sorry. I yeah. was running out of things to say. Well, you're, you're saying that what did the Dallas Mavericks actually lose because they lost expiring contracts? They're good players. Yeah. But they gave up a lot to the Knicks, but they got Kristaps in return. I guess this trade really comes down to: Do yeah, you I mean, believe I in Kristaps Porzingis? That's that's right because it shows the Knicks don't believe in him long term, and right. the Mavericks are betting on Kristaps to become a, a a superstar player and remain healthy down the road. The Knicks said we're done, we don't buy it. We'll, mm-hmm. We we'll take some players, maybe a chance to go get a a young draft pick, a really good player um, like Zion Williamson. And Dallas saying we're all in on Luke, we're all in on Luca, and we're all in on Kristaps. I I believe in Kristaps Porzingis if he can get healthy. And that's a very, very conditional statement because yeah. coming back from an ACL injury, not easy. When you have knee injuries, it's very, very hard to come back from. Just ask Derek Rose. And you're 7-3. And you're 7-3, which is, uh, all automatically yeah. makes it much more difficult for you. So the the Mavericks got, the Dallas Mavericks got a player that has potential. Mm-hmm. What did the Knicks get, in your opinion? The Knicks got, I think, somebody who has, like I talked about, one of the yep. highest ceilings in Dennis Smith Jr. Mm. They get an amazing rim protector in DeAndre Jordan, somebody, yep. who, again, 15-plus boards a night, and is just going to be consistent for you. And Do you I he'll think stay? That's is there any they chance got. they resign Wesley Matthews and DeAndre Jordan? I, I have no idea. Yeah. I think the Knicks suck. I think their front office sucks. But it's New York. I mean, right? I mean the allure of being a New York Knick. Do you think that keeps the guy around? I don't think that's alive anymore. Mm. We'll I talk think, about that, yeah. I think the allure of being a Celtic or being a Laker is much more alive still than being a New York Nick. And maybe I've never been to the city of New York. All I mean, yeah. people sure. talk about it all the time. And, you know, oh, big market team. I've never been there, so I don't have the experience and can't really speak on it. But looking from a player standpoint, you had at one point Carmelo Anthony. You had well, – didn't wasn't Derek Rose on the team as well yep. for the Knicks? I think briefly, yes. Derek Rose. They got they got some kind of big three. I can't well, remember who your it was. Point to, the, the point though is you're saying that the Knicks brand is no longer a sell just alone on the Knicks. No, not you at had all. to win. You you got there's not a culture in place that says I want to be a Nick just because I want the name. Exactly. Awesome. Back when you had Patrick Ewing, yeah, absolutely. Now 
I mean, when was the last time they really, really had success? Who won the trade? Knicks. The Knicks. Knicks. Yeah. Easy. Because they got cap room. They got some good players that might stay. They got a chance at a first-round draft pick. Yeah. And they and got rid of a problem. that's one of the things, the, the draft picks. Yeah. They're going to get a couple draft picks out of it. So what they're going to do with that, nobody knows. But being there's only two rounds in the NBA uh, in the NBA draft. Yeah. The draft picks are very important. Yeah. And and the, we, we, the Dallas Mavericks are, are betting on a guy who's been historically unhealthy. The, uh, in my opinion, they're betting on the fact that Dirk Nowinski is going to teach Kristaps Porzingis. And I think it'll be one of the greatest mentor role stories, if it were to develop like that, yeah. like in history. But Kristaps just has to be healthy. Yeah, yeah. please. I want to shift gears to uh, Kellen Moore. The Dallas Cowboys have hired Kellen Moore to be their offensive coordinator. Um, it's exciting. He's the a former quarterback at Boise State, left-handed guy. Legend. Le- oh, yeah. Four-year starter, dominated for years. Yeah. Um, if you don't know his story, he played with the Detroit Lions for a couple of years as a backup. Never played. Went to the Cowboys as a backup. Was Dak Prescott's backup for a year. Um, and then ultimately transitioned to become their quarterback coach. And it's very interesting. I made a video six months ago talking about how he might be the next great uh, young offensive coach. Mm-hmm. I still think that's possible. I don't know that he's going to do that with the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know they're putting him in a position to succeed. And I can explain that. Is It's interesting with... He was in Detroit under Scott Linehan. Right. He learned a lot about football from the Lions coach, Scott Linehan. Scott Linehan went to the Cowboys, and Kellen Moore followed him to the Cowboys, where mm-hmm. he learned a lot from... Again, Scott Linehan was the Cowboys offensive coordinator. The Cowboys said, we're tired of Scott Linehan. We're going to fire Scott Linehan. We're going to hire his understudy, Kellen Moore. I think it's very interesting, and I don't think that the, the philosophy makes sense to me. They got sick of the bland vanilla offense that Scott Linehan was running. Right. They hired the guy who learned everything from Scott Linehan. It's like saying, I don't like ketchup on a hamburger, and so I'm just going to get a different brand of ketchup. Now, the problem is ketchup in general. You don't like that condiment. Get right. no ketchup on the hamburger. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned that the Cowboys are putting themselves in a position for heartbreak and failure. And, and I further my point by saying that the Cowboys, it came out recently that they're likely not to extend Jason Garrett's contract. Right. So he has one year left on his contract. It's going to expire at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see this playing out very well. I don't see this being um, a successful move. You think it might have been just an inside hire just to hire Kellen Moore? And then once the contract for Jason Garrett's up, he gets dumped. They hire a new head coach, brings in a new staff. That's yeah. one potential for it. It's a placeholder. Um, right. Kind of deal. But I also think we might be underestimating how much Chris Peterson taught Kellen mm. Moore about football. Because yeah. Chris Peterson's one of the greatest coaches of all Who time. Who is Chris Peterson, if they don't know? Uh, Chris Peterson was the former Boise State coach back when Kellen Moore was there. Yep. Um, he's now the head coach for UW. Washington. U- yeah, Washington University of Washington. They've had an excellent couple of years. Uh, this year, they were, what, Pac-12 champions? Yep. And so... Chris Peterson's an excellent coach. He proved it when he was at Boise State, yeah. beating FBS teams on a consistent basis. Gets to a Pac-12 school, has success after two years. You know, once he's implemented his system, he's a great recruiter, et cetera, et cetera. So enough about Chris Peterson. Well, no, but I think we're yeah. underestimating how much Chris Peterson may have taught Kellen Moore. Because if you know Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson always keeps a lot of tricks in his bag. Yeah. He's a great schemer. He understands what he needs to do against different defenses to exploit matchups and, you know, things like that. So I think Kellen Moore has more to offer than we think he does, in addition to the fact that in the NFL, sometimes getting a job is about having a relationship with somebody. So Kellen Moore maybe might have been kicked out of Detroit 
but he has another job because he knew Scott Linehan. Well, he also has a great, I would assume, a great relationship with Dak Prescott. Right. It's weird to go from, imagine if your backup wide receiver became your coach. Right. It's kind of weird, right? Yeah, your backup quarterback, not yeah. backup receiver. But you're a receiver. So imagine like a guy behind you on the depth chart moves to become your coach. Oh, right. Yeah. It's a weird it's, dynamic. Yeah, it's very, and it's hard to respect that, but that tells you a lot about the knowledge that yeah. Kellen Moore has. And if Dak Prescott is willing to respect that, yeah, I think that I think that tells you a lot about Kellen Moore's knowledge of football and what he's been able to teach Dak Prescott. It's evident to me the Dallas Cowboys are at a point where a, a point of like a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. If Kellen Moore can save or make or break Jason Garrett's future with the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. if Kel, uh, if Kellen Moore can come up with some creative schemes, because here's the problem with the Cowboys was their schemes were not creative enough. They were running very basic uh, concepts, right. running the ball heavily. They weren't coming up with cool stuff that you see like Kyle Shanahan doing or Matt Nagy doing with the Bears. Right. It wasn't creative enough in their offense. If Kellen Moore can't do that, Jason Garrett will lose his job. They need to see progress from Dak Prescott. They need to see better play calling and a change of their play calling. So, I just think Kellen Moore naturally is going to be a more dynamic play caller. Why? Just honestly because of his experience with Chris Peterson. Yeah. I think when you get when you get your foundation – yeah. of football from mm-hmm. somebody it's very hard to change you know the way you think of it yeah and how you think about football and i think he's willing to take more risks than probably scott Linehan was willing to and in addition to that yes they had a very vanilla offense they were not a playoff team they added amari cooper boom playoff team yeah. amari cooper had an incredible second half of the year just by being on the cowboys because it gave dak prescott a weapon it relieved some of the pressure that was being forced on the run game so when you take a look at that, and now maybe you're going to add Kellen Moore, who might change up a few things, add a few new schemes, a few new wrinkles to the offense, I think that they have a chance to be more dynamic with somebody like Amari Cooper, with Ezekiel Elliott, with, um, what's his name, Cole Beasley. I think yeah. I think Kellen Moore is going to take advantage of Cole Beasley in ways that probably Scott Linehan didn't. Using him as a gadget player, probably in fly sweeps, things like that? Gadget player, but just more used in the traditional... Wes Welker type Julian Edelman way. Yeah. A more consistent third down, you know, I can look to you receiver when Amari Cooper's double covered kind of deal. I think it's interesting. I you could have predicted Kellen Moore when even when he was in college becoming a next offensive coordinator of a coach, he was never a physically dominant player. <laughs> a very limited arm, average arm strength. Exactly. He had to understand the game. He had to have a great understanding of football. That's why he did well at Boise State. Right. Um, I just think it's very curious. I, I I like him, by the way. I'm a big fan of his. I loved him at Boise yeah, State. absolutely. I hope he succeeds. Um, I think it's clear, though, if he doesn't succeed, Dak Prescott might be on the way out, and Jason Garrett is probably on the way out. They got one year left. I think Dak Prescott has one year left on his contract. Mm-hmm. Jason Garrett's on the last year of his contract. And Kellen Moore is going to make or break the future of the Cowboys uh, based on his play calling. If Can he come up with something creative? That's the story that I want to watch, is how right. successful is he? So... If Dak and all and Dak and Jason Garrett were to be on the way out, yeah, who's available to replace Dak Prescott? Would you try to take a chance on a rookie? Tua, Tua, likely. I mean, right or Justin Herbert, someone in the draft because they got it there. If Dak isn't their franchise quarterback, they're gonna have to find someone else. What are they gonna do? Sign Alex Smith? I don't know. I, I it's. I think Dak Prescott's talented enough to be. Not a franchise quarterback, but like a what, 2011 or 12 Joe Flacco? Mm. Or he, can win a, he can win a Super Bowl. He can win a Super Bowl. Him. Yeah, if you put the pieces around him and if you yeah. get the right offense around him. So I don't think Jason, I don't think that if Jason Garrett's gone, I don't think that necessarily means Dak is gone. Mm. 
I just think Jason Garrett's gone with the wind, and whoever else is next up in Jerry Jones' buddy party, then that's what it is. Is Jerry Jones the owner part of the problem? I look at him and say he's way too involved in football. He's not leaving football to football guys. Do you agree with that statement? I agree with that, and I think it's part of the way he develops relationships. If he likes you, he's going to give you opportunity after opportunity. And I think that's been proven with Jason Garrett with just intermediate success. And I think making the playoffs this year kind of helped. Yeah. But something has to change. And whether Kellen Moore is that change for their offense or for their teams in general – I don't know, because they have an excellent defense right now. Yeah, It's just the offense needs to be able to consistently put up points. I, I hope Kellen Moore succeeds. I also wonder if Jerry Jones has the security in himself to hire. Like, imagine if Jim Harbaugh comes to the Cowboys. Jim Harbaugh wants total control. He doesn't want Jerry yeah, Jones. Right. He doesn't want Jerry Jones breathing over his shoulder. Right. And I don't know that Jerry Jones is comfortable enough and, and secure enough with himself to give up control of his franchise to a head coach or a general manager. I don't think so either. Yeah. I think Jerry Jones and holding back the Cowboys. I think that'll be part of the problem. And that's yeah. to an even higher degree. That's part of the problem with the Browns, with their owner. Yeah. Uh, bad owners are, are a huge bad problem. Bad owners can kill a team. Well, I always say there are four things you need to win a Super Bowl. You need a, a uh, and to varying degrees, but you need a great coach. Need a great quarterback, a great offensive line, and a great defense. The fifth thing I always say is you need a stable owner that doesn't meddle in football. If you have a crazy owner, you're not going to win a Super Bowl. If you have the Browns owner, if you have, I don't think Jerry Jones, mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Brady's won more playoff games in his 40s than the Cowboys have won in the last 20 years. Right. That says a lot. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready to move on. I want to talk about USC. Um, USC's had a tumultuous offseason. It's been ugly. It's been bad. Yeah. Uh, they brought in Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator. And after a week at USC, he left. <laughs> he said, ah, I'm going to go to the NFL, yeah. take the head coaching job of the Arizona Cardinals. What ensued was a lot of players for USC that committed because of Cliff Kingsbury leaving. Right. We saw Brew McCoy, a five-star wide receiver from modern-day high school in Santa Ana, say, all right, I'm going to transfer. Like After like a week at USC, mm-hmm. transferred to Texas. We are seeing a problem with the culture at USC. I want to discuss what they need to do how to fix it, what's wrong with it. Just We'll just talk about this whole scenario um, and, and see if we can solve some of their problems and what's going on. What is the, What do you see as an immediate problem with USC? I'm not, I don't believe Clay Helton's the problem. I think he's an excellent coach. I think part of it was having the right offensive coordinator and mm-hmm. the right coaches around because you can have the right head coach, but if you don't pick the right staff around you yeah. to help you know, enforce the cult, enforce the culture or coach things the way you want it to to fit your scheme like that's the problem it's like you can be a great boss but if you don't hire the right people to to be around you that's part of the problem because yes a head coach is so so important to a program but hiring people to do everything consistently the way that you want and having everybody on the same page yeah like it's not just players that have to be bought in it's the it's the coaches under the head coach that have to be bought in and I think that's part of the problem. And I think too many coaches that go to USC are also having one foot in and one foot out the door. It's and a stepping stone for them. It's a stepping stone. And part of that is just because the history of USC. To me, USC is always going to have this flash of brilliance. Was, oh, like is USC making that you know 2003 like rise to greatness again like they did in Pete Carroll? They're always going to have that or have those moments every year because of the amount of talent that they can get. Just by saying, yeah. we're USC, we're in Pasadena, we're in L.A. So they're always going to have that capability. But to me, the problem is is just not putting the right staff together. And I, when you can't yeah. put the right staff together, 
you can't get the players on the same page. You can't be consistent. And I think giving a head coach a little bit more time, especially one like Clay Helton, uh, you're going to find success. And as far as Cliff Kingsbury goes, that's definitely tough to have so many recruits, you know, decommit. Yeah. But, you know, why wouldn't you want to play for Cliff King? Cliff Kingsbury. So for the last three seasons at Texas Tech, they're averaging 35-plus points a game. That's a fun offense to be in. That means yeah. the ball is being distributed. It's dynamic. And that's why the Cardinals hired. That's why the Cardinals wanted to hire An him. An offensive recruit says, I yeah, want to play off- for him. Exactly. You know, the Cardinals offense sucked. And so you're bringing in a guy who can hopefully revamp or rejuice their offense. That's what USC was thinking. And now that's ultimately what the Cardinals thinking, kind of poaching him. You can make an argument in favor of Clay Helton and against him. I think it's interesting. I was really excited when news of Cliff Kingsbury came to be because my my whole I made a great a video I'm very proud of where I said mm-hmm. that Cliff Kingsbury can take care of the scheme and the offense. His problem was running a team and the logistics of being head coach, the paperwork, the organization, all this weird the coaching duties. I think Clay Helton's great at. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's the best at scheme, and I, I thought it would have been a good marriage a yin and yang. Without that, he's in trouble. Right. They hired Graham Harrell to be their new offensive coordinator the coach from North Texas, the, uh, right. another Mike Leach guy, another guy from the air raid offense, probably uh-huh. has some interesting schemes. Um, I don't know that... Here's the argument against Clay Helton, saying... Because okay. USC fans are up in a... They want Clay Helton out. They want him done. They hate him. They want him fired. Here's the reason why you can argue that Clay Helton is a bad fit for USC and why he should be fired, is USC's been incredibly undisciplined. They lost to Cal in a game they, a game they should have won, right. but they made mistakes down the stretch, got a lot of penalties... Their lack of discipline is a direct reflection of bad of bad coaching and bad organizational structure right. from Clay Helton. He sets the tone. However, I think it's a little overblown. Like he's not flashy. My my dad's a huge USC fan. He always says mm-hmm. he's not charismatic. And uh, does it matter? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't. You can say like he's a, he's not uh, charismatic and never hurts recruiting. But it actually doesn't. They get great recruits. They're always going to get great yeah. recruits at USC. And it might be true that the the brand, kind of like the New York Knicks, the brand of USC has somewhat declined. They're mm-hmm. not the sell it once was, but it's not like they're not getting good players. They're they're consistently the top recruiting class in the Pac-12. This is the first time in years that they're they're actually third. They're not first in the Pac-12 right. ranking in recruiting class. Um, and I know there's a lot of options, but recruiting's not the problem. It's the offensive game plan and it's the organizational issues and their lack of discipline late in games that's costing USC right and I think sometimes uh, a culture failure can come from a coach trying to take on too much Mm. so when I talked about not hiring the right staff around you yeah when you have to start worrying about other things that makes it more difficult for you to focus on your culture and the way you want things to operate yeah but when you have somebody if you were to have somebody like Cliff Kingsbury who can take care of the scheme and take care of the offense and you know you can peek in the door and make sure things are going all right but you can focus on the outside, the distractions, things like that, and making sure the team as a whole functions, that's incredibly important for a head coach to be able to do. So trusting your staff to do their part is huge for a head coach. And you got to delegate. Yeah, and I, and I don't think a lot of people can understand that everybody wants to instantly blame the head coach. And yes, do they, you know, they're the head. Like, that's the reason I took the head coaching yes. job. Brun goes to them. Yeah, it, and they're always going to have to take that. But I think you can point to, you know, your coaching staff as well and say, like, is this getting communicated the way I want it to do? Yeah, yes or no. Now do I have to go and try to communicate that to the players? And now I can't be over here with the defense during practice because I'm trying to do this for the offense. Or 
do I have to go down and help the defense figure something out? Like maybe our corners aren't executing this scheme the way I want it to. So now I have to focus on this and I haven't been on the offensive side of practice mm -hmm. all day. And so that's where things start to fall apart when there's a lack of consistency in the coaching staff and the head coach. I think it's interesting. I have an optimistic, if you want to have an optimistic view of USC, here's what you say. You say you have a good young quarterback, J, uh, JD McD uh, McDaniel. What's his name? JD, I have no JD idea. Daniels. I think it's, okay. his name. I can't remember his name. Right, now. It's blanking right now. I know, I know his name. I'm going to get killed in the comments. I don't care. They have a great young quarterback. They have a great young wide receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown. They have good recruits in place. And they're bringing in Graham Harrell, another, a similar to Cliff Kingsbury guy, mm -hmm. a former Texas Tech quarterback who has been around Mike Leach, has an, another, he's been around that kind of offense. Right. There's, if you were excited about Cliff Kingsbury, there's no reason to not be excited about Graham Harrell. It might be another similar thing. We have a, a creative offensive coach, again, young quarterback, young right. wide receivers, potential to build. I'm not ready to bail on him just yet. I know USC fans are. Mm -hmm. I get berated when I say that. Um, I've been, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I don't know how I stand. I, I do wish he was more charismatic. I wish he was right. more interesting, like like the uh, like Herm Edwards or Chip Kelly. Right. But I don't think USC is doomed. And I think I would give him one more year to see what happens with Graham Harrell. Mm -hmm. And again, they had a true freshman quarterback last year, an 18 year old quarterback. That's difficult. Yes, they struggled, especially in the Pac-12. You've you've had a true freshman quarterback. It's not pretty all the time. The guy's learning. He's getting mm -hmm. used to things. Um. So I'm not ready to bail on USC just yet. How? Quick question. How long has Clay Helton been been the head coach? Oh, I, I I don't know. It's been a couple of years, but I, I'll I say this. I want to say this was his what second year. He's won the Pac-12. He won the Pac-12. He won a Rose Bowl with Sam Darnold, and you can say, well, Sam Darnold was great. Yeah, Sam Darnold was great. You lost Sam Darnold. Yeah, you're struggling because you don't have Sam Darnold, and you're you're building with a young team, uh, a player. Uh, yeah, a player with a talent like Sam Darnold can prop you up. Yes. I, I am curious though, how long Helton's been? I think there. four years. Four years. Okay, yep. so this year, like, it's really your last year. Yeah. Because when you have to get like a recruiting class to like kind of fit your scheme, like it, you know, things don't just you change had time. overnight for you. Yeah. And people think that, you know, Scott Frost going to UCF, it's like, oh, he completely changed. They didn't win a game and now they were undefeated. That tells you like everything there was in place at UCF, but like things just needed to be enforced and taken care of. And you yeah. see that now that he's at Nebraska, Nebraska didn't have a great season. Yep. But I think there's a chance for success because of the way Scott frost coaches and his culture and it's, it's not always easy to just build it overnight it doesn't happen yeah. well, overnight. you bring in your recruits and it takes them three years maybe to develop into juniors and seniors junior senior sophomores full of your guys that you recruited so your culture the athletes you wanted that fit your system right and it, you don't always garner respect for a coach in one year or respect for a staff in one year yeah so when a coaching change happens to you your senior year or your junior year, like you've been in the system, new coaches come in, and now maybe you don't have your spot, and competition gets reopened, and now they're going to start guys that they've recruited, and they don't want to play yeah. you anymore because you're graduating anyways. That makes it very, very hard on a team, <laughs> and it creates friction. And people don't realize that they have to fight that when you're becoming a college football head coach because there's these young kids that come in, three, four, five-star recruits who have been starting under their head coach, and you come in and you change the scheme, you change the system way that they've been used to playing and things that they've been taught, and you kind of flip it on its head and try to teach them something different, and then you're bringing in new recruits, different recruits, and you want to start developing them. So now you're giving those guys who are there first less minutes yeah. because you want to get these guys ready for when your system's fully in place. Yeah, That's not easy to do. I was talking to a head coach recently, and I can't talk about it yet. Why? Um, but it was really cool. I, I, I very well will soon share. I'll share this. 
The head coach told me, though, he said, recruiting is kind of like dating. You got to take time. You got to get to know people. You got to build rapport. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen overnight. Not at all. Um, and I think you're right, though. Clay Helton's time at USC, he's had the time. He's had years. His recruits are all in, in the program. It's really this year This or is his last shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's hope, though. Good, good, good young quarterback. New offensive coordinator with creative systems. They're going to, I think, make a turn away from the pro-style offense. Amon Ross St. Brown's a great wide receiver. Mm-hmm. There are There's reasons to be optimistic. Yeah. You also look at a USC brand that's failing. I mean, they're... They're no longer the brand they once were. Right. LA's got the Rams. Um, it's it's we're at a big moment for USC where they don't have a, a don't have a president of their college and they really got to turn things around. This is I think it's I'm right. restating what you said. It's this year or bust for Clay Hilton. Easy, awesome. Let's move on. I want to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. Um, <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings are a a weird weird scenario, and I want to ask the question basically: If Kirk Cousins doesn't win a Super Bowl with the Vikings. Was that contract, was the move to get Kirk Cousins a failure for the Vikings? Yes, that's a failure. And it's large in part because of how much money they spent on Kirk Cousins. So they signed him in free agency to a three-year, what was it, $84 million contract. Fully guaranteed. Yeah, fully guaranteed. So whether, like, that money is going to Kirk Cousins, no matter what. And there's no way out of it in that contract. And so if you don't win a Super Bowl with him, you basically took three years and kind of threw it down the drain because you invested in somebody who's done no more for you than Case Keenum. Yeah, Case Keenum, their old quarterback, took him to the playoffs. Kirk Cousins couldn't even do that. Not at all. And I think you signed Kirk Cousins to that amount of money with the understanding he will be the difference for us. Mm-hmm. We can't, Kirk Cousins, we've hit, we've hit a ceiling with Case Keenum. We believe Kirk Cousins puts us over the hump and right. will help us win more. And it didn't work. Didn't work at all. And I think the problem with the Vikings, you know, it's interesting, going into last season, everyone was really high on them. Mm-hmm. They're a Super Bowl team. They're going to be great. And I said, well, we'll slow down. The Vikings hired a new offensive coordinator, John Filippo, this season. It was, this was his first year. Right. And I said, it's going to take him one year to learn and gel with each other. Mm-hmm. Year two will be better. And the problem is they high-fired him at the end of the year. They fired John Filippo. Right. Uh, it was actually mid-season. And they basically wasted a year with Kirk Cousins. You didn't get any more better. You didn't get any more... You didn't build enough rapport with a new offensive coordinator. So now you got to restart that whole process next right. year. You have two years left with Kirk Cousins, two years to learn and build rapport. And I thought year three was like the best chance of the Vikings to win a Super Bowl. Right. Again, you're just restarting that process of getting to know each other in a new system. It's not good. It's ugly. Yeah. Thankfully, they have a good core in terms of receiving. They've got some talented players. Uh, on the defense, I think they have an excellent defense led by Harrison. But on offense, you have Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, two of the best receivers in the league, yep. arguably. You love Stefan Diggs. Love Stefan Diggs. Why? He's an excellent route runner. Yep. He, every single route he runs is sharp, it's crisp, it's violent, and the defender just never has a chance. He's just too quick. You're higher than on him than most people I know. It's interesting. It's, it, people don't understand. Like When he was at Maryland, he was absolutely shredding people. Like yeah. Stefan Diggs is so good. And I think that was highlighted at the beginning of the year. You know, when you had Thielen and Diggs, Cousins and Dalvin Cook. Yeah. You like they were on top of the world offensively. Like Diggs yeah. and Thielen's were both they both had pretty much two touchdowns a game. And I'm mad because I traded away Stefan Diggs. <laughs> I made him a draft pick. Oh in Stephon, fantasy. I yeah, I am so sorry that I traded you away. If I could do anything to bring you back, I would. Well, I think it's interesting. <clears throat> uh the Vikings fired their offensive coordinator because their running it wasn't efficient enough. Which is weird because Dalvin Cook got hurt. Right. And they said that we weren't running the ball enough. John, uh, their, their head coach, Mike Zimmer, is an old defensive-minded guy. said, I want to establish the running game. Right. And he didn't feel like John DeFilippo was doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I don't understand 
you lost your running back. Like we talked about this, you had this three. You called it the, I think it was the triangle of the running game triangle. Yeah. What are the three things you think you need to have to have a great running back? In my opinion, running game. Three things you need for a great running game, or you need at least two of them. Mm. You need to have two either, of the three. Two of the three, right? So you have a great run game scheme or a great run game coordinator, somebody yep. who's going to get you the right matchups. So play calling, right? Play calling, scheming. Um, you have a very talented running back. Yep. And then you have a great offensive line. And mm-hmm. if you can get two of those, you'll have a successful running game. So if you have a great scheme and a great running back, but you know your offensive line isn't as great, because of the scheme and the talent of the running back, you're going to get positive yards. My yep. best example is the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Steelers don't have the world's greatest offensive line, but they've got a great scheme playing behind Ben Roethlisberger, and they've got Le'Veon Bell, arguably the best running back in the league, most valuable. And that scheme shows because they had James Conner as the backup this year, and they still found success in the run game very early up until yeah. they got injured. Um, you have a great line and a great scheme. That speaks for itself. If you have a great line and a great scheme, like you're going to run the ball well. There's no question yeah. about it. It doesn't matter who's that running it back. It doesn't matter unless you have like a brick for a running back. <laughs> Who doesn't I mean, understand how to read holes yeah, and where and to go? I think one of the you know, most famous examples of that is Emmitt Smith playing behind mm-hmm. that Dallas Cowboys offensive line. Because yep. he hardly got touched until he was at the second level. Yeah. And then if you have a great offensive line and a great running back, but your scheme isn't as great, your offensive line is going to get movement based off of talent. And if you have a great running back who can, you know, read that movement, you're going to be successful. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. Um, I think they fired, they kind of pulled the trigger too early on John Filippo. I would have liked to see him get more time um, and really develop a more of a relationship with Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. I think we also have to decide if it's a failure with the Minnesota Vikings, we have to decide do we believe in Kirk Cousins? And I don't know that I do. A lot of the times people say this guy can't win a big game. And I don't I think we overuse that term. I think it's it's kind of ridiculous. However, I listened to Max Brown, a former USC quarterback, talk mm-hmm. about this, saying that in big moments or like even at practice, he got really tense. Like mm-hmm. psychologically, he really amped it up. And he felt like every practice was a Super Bowl for him. I think Kirk Cousins is very similar. Where he legitimately in bigger moments does he doesn't get easygoing and relax. Like sometimes for me, my personal experience, I was always way too tense early in games. Mm-hmm. Before halftime in the fourth quarter, for whatever reason, I had nothing to lose and it slowed down for me. Like I was able to relax finally. Right. I think Kirk Cousins does the opposite. In big moments, he tenses up. In big games, he tenses up and isn't as successful. And it's a psychological problem he has. Um, and I, I just I don't believe in Kirk Cousins in big I think there's a stat. I don't know the stats. I wish I did. It's fine that we don't we don't need right. to look it up. But he, he's not as successful against teams with winning records. He's not as successful in primetime games. He's not right. as successful in big-time moments. Because it's a psychological thing, he tenses mm-hmm. up. And so I don't know that I believe in Kirk Cousins to turn it around and, and do well for the Vikings. And right. I do think, if I had to make a prediction whether the contract was a failure or not, yeah, I think it was. Because mm-hmm. I don't believe in Kirk. I think him being in Washington, you know, playing behind RG3 for a couple of years... And then I had Jay Gruden as a head coach. Yep. Kyle Shannon as an offensive Kyle, coordinator. Yeah. Or sorry, uh, Sean McVay and Kyle Shannon, I believe, both. Yeah, both yep. of them were there at one point. And <laughs> crazy. if yeah, if you look at his best years, they, it was under Kyle Shanahan. Yep. Like that big year where Washington was like, whoa. Like this, we had like the 70-plus percent completion yep. percentage was playing out of his mind. When you have a coach like Shanahan, it, it completely changes the way you play because he understands your strengths and he's going to yeah. use your strengths in the best way he possibly can. And the great example of that um, is just at the 49ers and what he did with the Falcons with Matt Ryan. That's why those teams have been successful in quarterback play because there's sometimes coaches that just can't, like they they understand 
offenses and they understand their quarterback better yep. than others. And Shanahan does that well, and McVay does that well. Do you think I'm onto something with big games? With big games? Like with Kirk Cousins, do you think he can win a playoff game? Can he win a big game? I think he can win a playoff game. I just think he needs to have more confidence in himself and the players around him. You think it's a psychological issue? I'm not sure if it's like a, a giant... I, I don't know what said. I don't want to assume I don't yeah. know who he is, but... I don't want to say like a giant psychological issue, but I think the teams he's probably played in those primetime games, those are good teams. The teams that he plays in the playoffs, you know, they're in the playoffs for a reason yeah. type deal. So it's not always hanging on him because really at, with Washington, he didn't have a great roster around him. I'll point to this. In the in the Vikings season last year, they played the Bears in a big moment. Later in the year, mm-hmm. the Bears are leading the division. They needed to win this game to stay alive in the playoff hunt. In the fourth quarter, Kirk Cousins threw the game-closing interception. He threw a, a pick six that gave mm-hmm. the Bears a, a two-score lead right. and really iced the game for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's plays like that when the uh, in the moment when the bright lights are on. You mm-hmm. need Kirk Cousins to make a play. He hasn't repeatedly. He hasn't. Tom Brady threw a ball too high to Rob Gronkowski, which was an easy dump off, and got bailed out by an offsides. Sure. I didn't. I but, don't. But, I don't remember the interception yeah, but you can, and how you can find, egregious it was. Sure, but you can find examples of a guy not succeeding. But you can also find a lot of examples where Tom Brady's pulled it through. Yeah, obviously. I can't think of any of examples where Kirk Cousins has pulled it through in the big moment. That's a good point. S- sorry, like I, I, I love Kirk. He's a great mm-hmm. guy. He's one of my favorite NFL players. I don't believe in him long term. I'm not incredibly high on Kirk Cousins. I don't follow him an incredible amount, so my expertise in terms of knowledge on him isn't yeah. you know probably where it should be. Let's put a bow on this be. topic. If you had to make a prediction, will it work or not? Do you think was the was the money they gave Kirk Cousins a success or a failure? What do you predict? I think it's gonna you're gonna they're gonna see success because they're just such a talented roster. Mm-hmm. But as far as winning a Super Bowl goes. There's a lot of young teams and a lot of talented teams. You're going to have the Patriots there. And you're NFC, have, you're, you're, the NFC Conference in general is just... Yeah, yeah I mean, you're, you're going to have your Patriots. The Eagles are going to be great. I don't know how they made the playoffs this year with all the injuries, but Doug Peterson's an excellent coach. You're still dealing with the Rams. You're going to be dealing mm. with the Saints. Um, Cowboys, I think, are going to do better. How much better, we don't know. We talked about that earlier in the segment. Yeah. You know, there's just going to be other teams i think that are still going to ultimately be better than the vikings and so you throw that in the mix with you know is kirk great in ga- in great games i don't know yeah i agree let's move on and by the way i want to say uh so it's clear i feel bad every time i interrupt you i feel bad and i know it's fine but i want to believe this in because it's uh-huh. it bothers me when we watch cable network shows uh and, and people just talk over each other all the time i'm trying to not do that i really like this we have and i hope yeah. it's clear for the audience listening like that's not my intent at all um, and you're truly really one of my best friends. I want to move on now to the Senior Bowl. Okay. Um, if you don't know, the Senior Bowl is a they take all the the best the, the top level high, uh, college football players that are juniors or seniors going to the NFL draft, come to Mobile, Alabama, play what's basically an all star game. Mm-hmm. And in this game, I, I just I just want to briefly gleam over something. I don't want to talk too long about this, but I think there's certain things you can take from a game like this, and th- certain things you can't. Right. So Tyree Jackson had a great game in the Senior Bowl. He had like two two touchdowns, had a, like a long touchdown pass. Right. Um, and a, a game like that is made for Tyree Jackson, who is he's six seven, has a huge arm, and, and is incredibly physically gifted. Right. In contrast, Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback, had kind of a rough game. Um, I think he's, he did throw a touchdown pass, but he had a long, a deep pass that just really fluttered, hung in the air. It didn't go where right. he wanted at all. It's not set up for a guy who has limited physical abilities to succeed. 
I get annoyed when people look at a game like the Senior Bowl and try to take away a lot of deep football stuff. I don't think you can. You've played in all-star games. Am I right when I say a game like that really shows off physical ability more than what your knowledge of football, your understanding of defenses? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, there's not a whole lot you can take from games like that other than obviously looking at just like the specimen feature. Like, this dude's extremely athletic. Yeah. He's fast. He's big. Things like that. But in college football and in the NFL, you have like a whole week to scheme on somebody. And you've yeah. been playing with the same guys, same quarterback, same O-line, same receivers, you know, the whole entire year. You have time to build rapport. Yeah, you have time to build rapport, build that connection, build the timing. That's especially important for quarterbacks and receivers. It's, yeah. it's the timing factor. Yep. And when you take, you know, players from different colleges and you throw them together on one team, what, like maybe two weeks of practice, and now you want them to play a full game, and the last time they played a game for most of them was like mid-November, yeah. You can't expect them, number one, to be sharp and precise, you know, coming back from not playing games. Yeah. And then in addition to that, they're playing with people they've never played with before. And so when you're playing like that, it's it's just hard to really show, like, the knowledge you have, the yeah. understanding of a scheme, because there's not really a scheme. You're not scheming on anybody on the other team. You're just lining up, okay, we're going to run cover two, cover three, and some man stuff. We're going to put in three blitzes on offense. We're going to have like these five things like that to keep it very simple. It's not a true reflection of a football game. I think in the future, uh, when we see quarterbacks decide to go to the senior bowl, Mm -hmm. it shows you need to have some self-awareness. A guy like Will Greer or Gardner Minshew, two quarterbacks, uh, they're entering the NFL draft this year, who have very average arm strength, like Mm -hmm. really actually extremely limited arm strength. That game doesn't necessarily help them. All all a a kind of an all-star game scenario does is expose your physical weaknesses. However, if you're Tyree Jackson and have a bunch of physical gifts to show off, Josh Allen last year in the Senior Bowl. Beneficial for you. Yes. Do you think it's possible we see quarterbacks in the future who are more limited physically avoiding a game like that, knowing that it doesn't help them at all? It's like the quarterbacks or the players who decide that they don't want to play in their last bowl game. That's how I'd think about it. Mm. Um, But you can't take Taking off really reflects poorly of you, you're saying. Right. So in... You know, denying that invite to the Senior Bowl, I think, is going to be frowned upon. It's like, oh, like, why would you not want to go show off, you know, the best against the best? But like you're saying, you know, your physical abilities, you know, could potentially be exposed. And to what level that is, I don't know. I've never been a Senior Bowl watcher. I don't invest a lot of time. Um, A.J. Hodgkins, who played down at UTEP this last year, absolute animal. Yeah. Um, I kept up on him just because he was in it. Uh other than that, you know, I don't really know. Well, it's, it's a weird mixed bag because you can talk about athletic talent all you want. Right. But then you look at a guy like Hunter Renfro, mm-hmm. uh, receiver from Clemson. Got to say Clemson because people get all mad when I say Clemson. Clemson. Okay. Yeah. They, I say, they say it with a Z and they're like, they're all mad at me. I don't Clemona care. Song. Stupid commenters on YouTube. Um, get out of No, here. but Hunter Renfro is not a athletic specimen. However, he had a great game and had a good showing because he showed I can catch the football. So it's not just only... Catch the football and run routes. Yes. Because you see a lot of man defense. Great for receivers. Yes. So you think if you're limited limited physically as a receiver, you should still go? Well, yeah, because if you're limited receiver physically and you're invited to the senior bowl, that means you're doing something else right. Mm. Whether it's route running or understanding a scheme, generally it's route running. Do you know much about Hunter Renfro? That's why you're there. I like him. I think he's a a walk-on at Clemson. Yeah. You know, played in... Four-year starter? Yeah, played in two or three national championships. Like, yeah, is he an Edelman Amendola type guy? I think he's more of a Chris Hogan. He doesn't mm-hmm. quite have the height as Chris Hogan. Yeah, uh, but yeah, very similar in terms of yeah. that. 
um, role receiver slash, you know, like productive third bound player. Do I don't. I don't think he's. I don't think he's like a Jordy Nelson, like a number one receiver. Yeah. yeah. How limited he is, I don't know, because he showed out during one on ones. Yep. You know, during that time in the Senior Bowl, where he's going against like the best of the best, the quickest corners, and at that point, it's like skill versus skill. Yeah. Kind of deal, and he showed that he has a various amount of routes that he can run, and he can get over the top deceptively. People need to realize you don't have to run a four four mm. to be or run a four three to be an excellent receiver at all. You need routes and you need technique. That's all that you need to be a receiver. Now, can you run a five foot or a, uh, a five second forty? No, absolutely not. You can't be slow. No, you can't be slow, but you don't need to burn the house down like John Ross. Yeah. to be an excellent receiver. Well, look at him; he's not an excellent receiver in the NFL. I mean, to be, to be like, quite frankly, like, like tell me how many four three and four four receivers are in the Hall of Fame. There's like two or three. Yeah, and one of them being Randy Moss. Yeah. The rest of the guys, Jerry Rice runs a four seven, and I know that's a very popular point. But Julian Edelman, he runs a four five. You look at some of the best receivers in the league, you know they don't run stupid fast forties. Yeah, we look at in the Senior Bowl, two of the best wide receivers that stood out to me were Andy Isabella, a guy from UMass. I'd never heard of him before this week. He's a, not physically gifted. He's undersized, balled out, ran great routes, mm-hmm. caught the ball when it was thrown to him. He just he just did his job. Right. Same with Hunter Renfro. Um, I think when you look at Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice mm-hmm. is not the most gifted physically. Uh, athlete uh, physically ever right that man um, had routes though and exactly but mm-hmm. does 40 time translate to the field i don't know that it necessarily does there's people who are really fast without pads on and people when you put the pads on them they just don't run as fast and it's a is very track speed thing. yeah there's track speed and then there's people also when they hit that game notch when they have pads on like they just get faster yeah and like you can never really replicate running in a straight line and part of that is like 40s you're trained for like you practice running a 40, you practice running in that straight line. There's very few times you're running in a dead straight line like that in football. You're yeah. either cutting, you're moving one angle, like you're sticking a route. You have to do a release before you can even start running vertical. So people want to put all this, um, you know, all this emphasis on running in a straight line when in football you very, very, very rarely do that. Yeah. Hundred percent. And let's just be clear though, like a four, like a four point five second forty, that's not slow. Yeah. Four four is fast. Four three is very very fast. But people act like, oh, he runs a four five or a four six. That dude's slow. Like those, they're still moving. They're moving. <laughs> and fast. it's enough because you get put pads on. It's different. Yeah, and not only that, but if you get somebody off the line and you stack them, yeah, it's over. I think the best thing you said was you rarely run in a straight line in football. You're right. It's all a lot of lateral movement. It's a lot of movement in small windows and radiuses and it's change of direction and it's change of speed yeah uh, you can ask the portland state dbs i'm not i'm not the fastest receiver on the roster and it's not close but yeah. why do i get over the top you're not technique yeah <laughs> oh, all right chill out he's faster than me folks i can't no but i get over the top because i know angles i yeah. get a great release i dip my shoulder and i get back on top mm. and that's if you get on top of a guy like and when i say on top right so we're running here if we're running this way, right? I can't do this. Reverse. If you're running side by side. Yeah, if you're running side by side, right, and I get over the top and you're still chasing. Yeah. Like, you can't, unless, like, you try to go around. You try to go around, quarterbacks. You can't, it's not, outside. it's not like you track. Go, you can't just pass a guy. No, you can't just pass somebody. So when you get on top, or what we call getting stacked. And that takes technique, over. right? It takes technique, because there's a lot of people 
who just try to run by you, but the DB will keep position because you didn't stack him. Because there's technique there. Yeah. To get past a guy in football, you're saying you need technique, not just speed. Exactly. And, and it's it's about leverage and angles. So when you get on top, he's squared up with you. You can go any direction. Mm. He doesn't have any sort of cushion either direction. And so you can really break people off on routes. Awesome. Or you bait people into you know keeping that inside leverage, and then you reinforce that inside leverage, and then you snap back outside. Yeah. So there's more technique to being a receiver than people often give credit for. It's not just whew, run a straight line down the field. That's awesome. That's so informative. I love this. Is why I brought you on. It's so informative. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing I'll say about the Senior Bowl before we move on to the Pro Bowl is that oh, Senior Bowl. I forgot we were on that. Yeah, topic. That's all right. Uh, well, it, it's just that uh, you can't. You can't just. It's a mostly physical in the Senior Bowl. It's yeah. physical. It's technique. You can't blame a guy for not understanding scheme, or having bad timing. There are silly critiques of the Senior Bowl like that, like. Um, Gardner Minshew missed some throws because of bad timing and they weren't on the same page. That happens. You can't crit- criticize a guy for that. Mm-hmm. What you can criticize is Will Greer throwing a ball downfield and it just completely lost him. It, it fluttered. Yeah. It literally it looked like he threw a wounded duck. It didn't go where he wanted. <laughs> it was it was awful. Right. And he got very lucky that it worked out. Um, so I, I just think that that's a real criticism. Uh, not a fair criticism is to say that a guy had bad timing or was late or missed a throw. Yeah, there's um, certain things you can see, certain things you can't see. Yeah. 100%. Let's talk about the Pro Bowl real quick. Okay. I don't want to linger on this too long. I watched a couple minutes of it. I said I wouldn't. It was on my TV at my house. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I passionately hate the Pro Bowl. I really do. I think it needs to end. I, I'm not a fan. Um, I just I feel like I always complain about it, but it, it's, it deserves it. If you watch line of scrimmage in the, in the Pro Bowl, the NFL's Pro Bowl, there's no competitiveness. No one's tackling. It's mm-hmm. not real football. And I'm not saying that it's that's not bad because safety matters, yada, yada. But mm-hmm. why even have a game? There's nothing you can gleam out of it. When the Pro Bowl was first started, you know, it, it, it was a game. Yeah. It was very physical. It was exciting. Like Deion Sanders talks about it. Like, you know, it's the best against the best. It's the opportunity to show out. But in my opinion, because of all the information that's come out about injuries and head injuries and yeah. CTE, players don't want to take any extra hits that they don't have to. Yeah. Like, I'm so, not getting CT for this game. Right. So, it, I mean, the game literally does not matter. And, yeah, like, you get a car if you're the MVP. <laughs> but it's not yeah. like these guys can't go buy a car. Yeah. Like, those incentives for them, like, it's, you know, an extra $50,000 doesn't mean much to them to go have maybe a life-altering brain injury Yeah. in a game or a career-ending, like, knee injury or yeah. hamstring, things like that. And so... They're thinking about that. Well, you're not getting a true showcase. You're putting all the best players in the NFL on one field. That's great. But you're not getting their best effort, so it's pointless. Yeah, exactly. Like, when he's, oh, he's a six-time Pro Bowl selection. It, okay. Yeah. Cool. And, and it's fan voted. Yeah. Well, also, you're getting Dak Prescott and Mitchell Trubisky made the Pro Bowl. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not a representation of the best people in the NFL. No, not, not you, by any You means. lose my attention, and I'd rather... Here's what I... I have a, a alternative to the Pro Bowl. Okay. Give me a list... Give me a list of the best players in the NFL, like the the two best quarterbacks, the two best running backs, the four best wide receivers. I want that because then we can debate. Does this guy belong? Does this guy not? You can't right. debate. Does Dak Prescott belong in the Pro Bowl or not? No, he doesn't. Fact. I don't need to have a debate about that. Right. And it's not. I lose interest in it, and it's not fun. And you're. It's just. It seems like a waste. And there's got to be something better we can do than the Pro have, Bowl. Have the undrafted bowl. So you have your Pro Bowl selection, right, and, like, your players. And yeah. maybe you change it to more skill-based competitions, like, you know how the NBA does. They have the three-point yeah. contest. Now maybe it's the crossbar contest for quarterbacks, you know, like going around certain spots on the field. And, yeah. You know, just, like, weird random things like that. Like, that could be cool to watch. But yeah. I think 
maybe you get some of the undrafted players or practice squad players. And well, that's like, just this the might AAF. Be, yeah, that, that might be an opportunity for them to show out or something like yeah. that. And I haven't like thought about details, yeah. but like, yeah. that's just a random thing. I mean, maybe you take players that really have something to earn and have something to prove a reason to hit each other and, yeah and you yeah. and you put them out there and have them show out because now maybe somebody who's there is like hey I, I like the way he does that like let's let's sign him next year like yeah let's get him on the practice squad let's uh let's see how he does for us kind of deal yeah so. russell wilson had a play he normally would try to run and gain yards on is like not even trying and i'm like this is just a waste this doesn't need to it's happen boring yeah. it is boring and, and i do like all the skill competitions and fun stuff do you want, i'd never even like watch them the dodgeball well, I see them just at work on oh, the TVs. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Dick's Sporting Goods. Every season starts at Dick's. <laughs> Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, is that like care. an advertisement? Do whatever you want. Yeah. It's no one free cares. Pass, no one, no, no one Sporting watches Goods, this. Right? Like only like eleven thousand people watch this. Like I don't, I don't care. Um, it's more people than watch Portland State football games. That's very true. No, it's true. Like actually, I have more subscribers than like Washington State's entire college. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about now. There, there are four topics left. I want to discuss. The yeah. first one is this. Who is so you have a deep background in football? You play college football. You're a Division One wide receiver. I want your opinion on wide receivers and quarterbacks. So first, who was your who's your favorite quarterback in the NFL and why? Favorite quarterback of all time, though, Michael Vick. Really? Yeah, dude, just legend. But favorite quarterback that currently plays in the NFL, man, um, I'd say it's between Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Really? It, it used to be Aaron Rodgers. Mm. at the time why is why is Aaron Rodgers not in the conversation anymore I honestly I just don't feel the passion for football from him anymore that's exactly what I say I, and it's very it's very he doesn't look like he's having fun yeah I don't want to like knock him because he's an excellent player yeah, and we don't know talent. him personally but yeah but to me it's just it seems like the last two and a half years I just haven't seen the passion in the drive and more so this year I mean they didn't even make the playoffs and there was a lot of turmoil in the team, the firing of Mike McCarthy. So that probably gives yeah. me some bias to yeah. it. But when you're in a bad culture, it's hard yeah. to have fun. Drew Brees, I would run through a wall for. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've shown a lot of press recently on like those pregame speeches he gives and things like that. But just uh, I have a I have a family friend named Gary Ferguson. He's probably <laughs> the biggest Saints fan you will ever meet. Mm. He he almost, he cried. I, I'm pretty sure he cried when. Uh, I'm so sorry for him. Yeah, it was heartbreaking for him. <laughs> but uh, you know, he's somebody. So I've known him since I was in like kindergarten. He's somebody who introduced me to the Saints, and mm. then like having Drew Brees there after he got there from the Chargers. Yeah. And just seeing a guy who's a gentleman on and off the field understands the sacrifices that it takes to win football games and to win honestly just in life off the field taking care of family you know being family to other players he's just a great role model and then the tom brady aspect just because the dude wins yeah and what both of those two have in common is they demand greatness out of you yeah and they and they want it for you it's not just i need you to be better it's i need you to be better and here's how I can help you do that. And here's how you can help do it for yourself. Yeah. They're not just a, you know, you go do this by yourself. You know, they want to pull you up because they want to be great too. And so they want you, like, how am I saying this? Well, I can say it if you want. The There's a big difference between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's leadership style. They're mm-hmm. both great leaders in their own right, right. But it comes from a different reason. Right. If you're blocking hard for uh, Drew Brees, it's because you love him. Because he's friends. He's He's really, he's like family. Right. I'm not saying Tom Brady's not that way, but I think the reason why you block hard for Tom Brady is because that's your job. Right. It's a little more Bill Business Belichick's oriented. more influence. Yeah, it's exactly. 
it's business oriented rather than family oriented. Not this again, not saying that they're not both business, not saying they're not both family. Right. But you block hard for Drew Brees. You dig deep in the late in the fourth quarter because you love him and you want him to succeed. Yeah. You do that for Tom Brady, but more out of respect and out of duty than out of love, I would think. That's how it appears to me. Both work, they're I just think, different approaches. I think Tom Brady's teammates love him. Oh, no, I'm not saying that at all. Of course they do. Right. But it's a little more. I don't think you need. I think you need it's, some of Bill Belichick saying, I'm going to cut you if you don't. Yeah, do you right. see tough love rather than. Yes. Or you can like familial love. Family love. Just love. I don't, I, don't know. I, I don't know how to say this properly, but interesting. So Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Now, the next question would be Who do you think is the best wide receiver in the NFL? Mm. I think there's a couple way to look at the best receivers in the NFL or the best. To me, the best all-around receiver has to be Antonio Brown in terms mm. of route running, understanding a defense, getting open consistently, and catching pretty much every single ball that's thrown his way. Yeah. Like, that's really, really hard to do. And to be double-covered a lot of the times, the amount that he gets open is incredible. And it makes it easier for players like um, Juju Smith-Schuster to get open. And then you have, like, your physical specimen receiver. Like, so you don't have just one. You have multiple guys you would <laughs> right. list. Yeah. And who have, they just have different skill sets and are mm. great in their own ways. And so then you look at uh, Julio Jones. It, unbelievable athlete. Runs a 4-4. He's, what, like 6-2, and, ju- and runs great routes. And yeah. he's always open. He's always going to catch the ball. He gets, like, 10 receptions, 100-some-odd yards a game. <laughs> he's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And then you have guys who are like your pure route runner, and to me that's Stefan Diggs. I mentioned him earlier mm-hmm. in the podcast. Yeah. You're like he's you just, rate him higher than most people I know. They, most people overlook Stefan Diggs. Yeah, I, again, like when he, he just he tears it up consistently, mm-hmm. and he embarrasses people consistently. And you don't have to embarrass people to be a great route runner. No, but just the sharpness and the quickness and the preciseness of in which he, like the way he runs his routes. Yeah, it's it's something I, I want to emulate. Mm. And especially his releases off the line. He's not a huge guy, but he's not small, so people think they can put hands on him. Yeah. He's just boom, boom, sharp, quick, he's out. Yeah. And he's over the top, and he's unbelievably fast as well. That's cool, because when you hear lists of like top receivers in the NFL, you hear the same names all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't hear Stephon Diggs. You don't, you don't, they don't put should, him in the top he five. He should be up there. Yeah. And then two guys, I think, as well. You have Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins. Those guys are just physical route runners. Like, they use their hands on you as much as a DB is going to use their hands on them. Yeah. And they get open, and they fight for the ball. I, I don't know how many drops DeAndre Hopkins has. Oh, that's right. He doesn't have one. The <laughs> dude doesn't drop the ball when it's thrown his way. Really? It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. He's got arguably the best hands in the NFL. Mm. And, like I said, he's a great route runner. He's got speed. He's got size. But it's just the physicality. He's like a rebounder. He's, it, it's physical for him. It's, it, it is physical. And it's mixed with technique and understanding the game. It's awesome. And that and that's one thing that all those receivers have in common. They understand football, they understand how to get open, and they understand how to adjust their body to catch balls. I love your insight. Again, yeah. if, if you're I might cut this out to, I mean into a segment, but you are a fit, former division one football player. You played mm-hmm. receiver in college, uh, and your insight is so valuable. This like the Stefan Diggs thing is something I would have never heard mm-hmm. without talking to you about this i want to get your opinion on antonio brown mm-hmm. as a as a former receiver division one player would you trade for antonio brown do you yes. think he's worth it yeah so oh, yes. yes not without a doubt without a doubt brown. you trade for antonio brown why because of what he brings to your team mm. what about my argument so what i would say is that i don't want to pay him the money i think he's overpriced mm-hmm. i mean you look at 
I'll make the same argument I made in my video about this. I said, hey, look, Antonio Brown didn't make the playoffs. No. Odell Beckham Jr. didn't make the playoffs. No quarterback. Julio Jones didn't make the playoffs. Jarvis Landry didn't make the playoffs. The only guy of all the top receivers in the NFL, the only guy that made the playoffs was DeAndre Hopkins. And that was a wild card game, right? Yes. Yeah. How, so how do, you, how do you speak to that? To say that being a great receiver doesn't necessarily mean you make the playoffs. So right. is he worth the $20 million, whatever it costs to sign Antonio Brown? It is because what he can do for your offense. When you look at those players that you mentioned that are great receivers, um, Jarvis Landry plays for the Browns. That's your answer right there. Why didn't they make the playoffs? <laughs> he plays for the Browns. Yeah. Julio Jones, the Falcons just struggled this year, straight up. Yeah. I mean, there's not their really Their defense struggled. Other, the their defense offensive struggled. play calling was tough. They fired mm-hmm. their offensive coordinator. Exactly. And so yeah. when you don't have a functional offense, Julio Jones still excelled. It's just the team as a whole didn't. Yeah. Um, another great receiver, like I was talking about, Michael Thomas. I mean, they made it there. Yeah. Who was the other receiver? Odell Beckham Jr. didn't make the playoffs. Odell Beckham Jr. You're, you have Odell Beckham Jr., you have Evan Ingram, you have Sterling Shepard, and Saquon Barkley. A lot of pieces on the Giants' offense. Pieces, but then you have Eli Manning. Mm. There goes your offense. So you're there saying go- there goes your playoff. Chances. You didn't have a quarterback in New York. It's why they did not have a quarterback in New York. Okay, so I I, I respect everything you're saying. You're saying mm-hmm. that there's reasons why they didn't make the playoffs. It's not their play, right? But you can still say they're not a difference maker. And how about this? So not only is it, mm-hmm. I would say that not only do you have to. Tr- pay Antonio Brown the money. You also have to trade for him. You right. give something up and then you pay him a ton of money. Why mm-hmm. is that worth it? What does he do? What does he bring to the table? Why is it worth it to you? He opens up your whole entire offense is what he does. Mm. And you just you see that with the Steelers. Yeah. Because they had Juju Smith-Schuster on the other side who had actually more receptions than Antonio Brown this year. But you know that it's not Juju helping Antonio because Antonio's been doing this since before uh yeah. Juju got in the league. Antonio demands more attention from the defense. He demands more attention. It opens up the other side. It opens up the run game because the linebackers can come. They can. They have to drop back, right? Yeah. They have to be aware of the hook. They have to be aware of the low hole. They have to be aware of the high hole. And they have to understand you know, where Antonio Brown is. You can't just say, like, oh, forget it. He's not going to catch the ball or he's not coming over the middle because he's scared to catch the ball kind of deal. And so like, the defense, they can't, yeah. yeah, they can't commit to a run game. Yeah. And then you also add Le'Veon Bell, who's just dynamic. It makes it very, very hard on a defense. But Antonio Brown opens that up for you. So if a team like the 49ers or the Colts brought in Antonio Brown, yeah. it would open up their offense because the defense says, i got to commit more guys and more attention to Antonio Brown. And when we're focusing on Antonio Brown, other guys get open. George Kittle exactly. with the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Um, Marquise Goodwin. Yes. Dude's an absolute barn burner in terms of getting Who's your guy from Portland State? Uh, in in with the 49ers, uh, he's not from Portland. So he's from Eastern Washington. That's you have right. Ken, you have but he's Ken, from Portland. He grew up. Yeah, in Portland. he grew That's up right. in Portland. Yes. Yeah, Kendrick Bourne. Yeah. So you, to me, Kendrick Bourne is like a Juju Smith-Schuster mm. in terms of route running ability and getting open. Yeah. If you have Antonio Brown on the other side of Kendrick Bourne, Kendrick Bourne's stats are going to go through the roof. Mm. George Kittle's produ- production is probably going to go down just because there's know, only so much. To go there's around. only so much. To but go he around, might right? get more quality catches, right? Right. I but mean, now you have to worry about Marquise Goodwin way over the top. You've got to worry about Kittle underneath, and you've got to worry about Antonio Brown in the middle area, and then you've got to worry about Kendrick Bourne, who can play both out of the slot yeah. and in the outside. That's a, almost impossible. So to even if with. George Kittle's volume of numbers go down, his production wouldn't stop. No, because, his production yeah. wouldn't stop. No, because yeah. There's just too much offensive firepower. And in Kyle Shanahan's offense, that it, it'd go insane. Because you look at players like Mohamed Sanu and uh, Trevor Gabriel, when they were on the Falcons with Julio Jones, 
their numbers were through the roof because they had Kyle Shanahan, Matt Ryan. They had a bunch of offensive weapons. Yeah. Gabriel with the Bears, where is his stats gone? You know, Muhammad yeah. Sanu, you know, without Kyle Shanahan, you know, what has he really done? Without the system in place, his production has gone down. Exactly. But whose hasn't is Julio Jones. Yeah. So that just kind of tells you the caliber of the receiver. And then going back to Antonio Brown, yes, you trade for him because no matter what, his production is going to be there. The last thing, the thing I can't get over with Antonio Brown, because I'm actually on board. It makes sense, right? He makes your offense better wholeheartedly. The problem is how do you logistically trade for him? What do you, do you have to give up, what, two draft picks? Two first-round picks and a second? Mm-hmm. Do you don't want to give up, if you're the 49ers, for example, you don't want to give right. up George Kittle to get Antonio Brown. It's yeah, redundant. you wouldn't, right. No, so, like, how do you, I, I, I still am not convinced because my problem is, you, it's not just you signing him in free agency. You got to right. trade for him. You got to trade for him, which, yeah, would probably include draft picks. The logistics of it, how you're going to do it, I don't know. But I'm still, I'm trading for. If Antonio. the 49ers can trade for him, they should. If the 49ers can trade for him, they should. If the Colts, what about the Colts? Because the Colts have T.Y. Hilton, who you, we were talking before the show. Right. You said T.Y. Hilton and Antonio Brown are very similar yeah. receivers. Yeah, they're very, very similar receivers. Uh, Colts have a decent O-line, a good mm-hmm. run game. You yeah. got an excellent quarterback in Andrew Luck. And a good scheme. And a good scheme. So Antonio Brown and T.Y. Hilton, to me, like I said, are very, very similar receivers in terms of size, build, the way they run routes, things like that. So when you add another player like Antonio Brown to T.Y. Hilton, it's not a bad thing for the team. But what I think is they need a more physical presence at receiver Mm. because you have uh, Jack Doyle at tight end. I believe it's Jack Doyle. Yep, Jack Doyle. And then uh, Eric Ebron, the the blocking tight end, basically. So you have pieces in your receiving core what i think they're missing is that um that bigger body yeah outside on the receiver so a better fit would be a guy like um uh what's the guy in new orleans michael thomas michael thomas would be a better fit with the colts than a antonio brown yeah because you already have an antonio brown type role with ty hilton exactly what's a good pair so a good pairing with antonio brown would be who what receivers with like if i could pick any receiver in the league no no but like what what body type so you have antonio brown who's he gets under the ball. He's not a big 6'5 guy that goes and catches jump balls, right? That's also a technique. A little side note about receivers. Go ahead. Antonio Brown knows how to keep the fight on the ground. Mm. You very rarely see him like go up for a jump ball or a contested jump ball and like rip it out of somebody's hands. What you see is him using his body positioning, slowing down, so that the ball is always coming over the top or at mm. a position where he can get it but the defender can't. He manipulates and that's, his body positioning so he doesn't have to go for a jump ball. Exactly. Interesting. And that's a big piece. Uh, what was I saying, though? Who would you, what kind of body type would you pair him with? He's, more, he's, he's, a, he's right. not a 6'5 physical possession receiver. Is that the kind of guy you'd want to pair Antonio Brown with? Yeah. You'd want a, you want a bigger target. You want your sideline target, which you do have. If you say he did go to the 49ers, mm. um, you can put George Kittle outside. He can do that. I mean, yeah. the obvious pairing would be somebody like a Michael Thomas or um, like a Julio Jones, bigger guys like that, or DeAndre Hopkins, honestly, because DeAndre Hopkins is extremely physical. But as a as a receiving core, you just, as much as I'd like to say, like size or height doesn't matter in playing a receiver, in your core somewhere, you got to have that taller, more physical guy. You That's just awesome. have to. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's transition. I have two things left I want to talk about. These are more regional stories. I think if you're nationally listening to the show, though, it's still interesting because you have good insight. It's a weird story I want to talk about. It's one of the first stories in a long time I have real uh, sources on. I want to talk about this next. Gage Gubrud, a quarterback from Eastern Washington University, 
is transferring to Washington State as a graduate transfer. Mm -hmm. I have sources, players on both teams, Washington and Eastern. Fact, it's happening. Um, I'm not, I don't mean to break the story. I'm not really interested in breaking the story as much as I'm interested in what does this mean? Why, why is this happening? What does this mean for Washington State? What does it mean for Eastern Washington? I first want to describe what happened, though, is uh, Gage Gubert was a senior last season for Eastern Washington. Yep. He was a fifth-year player, which means that's, after your fifth year, you're done. You can't play any more football. Done. He got hurt. That's really important. We can't forget. He got hurt. Um, and in his career, he's a great, he had a great uh, career. Actually, his first start ever at Eastern was the game that Eastern beat Washington State. Weird, yep. interesting fact. Um, but he got hurt in their fifth game of the year at Eastern Washington. Then Eastern Washington on a long run, they played in the national championship game, which means they played in 15 total games this year. Right. According to the NCAA, if you've played in a third of your team's games or fewer, you can be granted a medical gray shirt, which means you can get one more year of eligibility. Right. Because they went to the national championship, because they had success without him, five of 15 is one third of the season. Technically, by NCAA rule, he should be allowed one more year mm-hmm. to play in the NCAA. I right. think it's going to happen. I think it's gonna, he's going to get that. Um, and so what we're seeing is now, is Gage Gubert going to Washington, Washington State? Is that actually a big deal? So he might, he's going to go, awesome, in your opinion. You've played against him. You've played at Portland State. He played at Eastern. You've played mm-hmm. against each other in games. What kind of impact is he going to have with Washington State? Does this even matter? Whatever quarterback ends up starting for Washington State is going to have an impact just by nature of their mm-hmm. offense. Yeah. Um, you had what? You had Connor Halliday. You had uh, who was the guy before Luke Falk, Luke Falk after him, uh, and you had Gardner Minshew. Yep. So when you have guys who can understand uh, Leach's offense, a quarterback's going to be successful. By the design of the offense, the quarterback has an impact. Sure. Exactly. And whether or not he can do that, I don't know. To me, Gage Gubrud can't really pronounce his last Gubrud. name. I think it's Gubrud. Gubrud. Yeah. Um, he had an excellent year. So 2015 didn't play. 2016. He has Kendrick Bourne starts for the 49ers. Yep. Cooper Cup starts for the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> yes. And a host of other talented players at Eastern Washington. He had NFL players on his roster. NFL players on his roster to throw the ball to. So you know those dudes are getting open yep. for him to deliver the ball, yep. th- making making the throws easier making for him. Making him look good. Right. And so he had a 67% completion percentage through for like 5,700 yards, something ridiculous like that. 48 touchdowns and only 14 picks. More picks still than I'd like to see. Yeah. But, yeah, he had an excellent year. And him and Cooper Cup were up for Walter Payton Player of the Year, which is the highest honor for uh, uh, FCS football. Yeah. So he had an incredible year. Kendrick Bourne and Cooper Cup leave. Completion percentage drops to, what, 61%. Uh, he only has 26 TDs and then has 12 picks and only 3,000 yards. Yeah. So production dramatically drops off. As and, the talent dropped off. Right. And – that and it's not to knock him, but there was a lot of throws he was missing, a lot of throws he was unwilling to make, and whether that's due to um, not trusting his receivers as much or the scheme, whatever you want to say, there was a drop off in his performance. I- I'm comfortable knocking him. I, look, I'm a Washington State fan. I went there for a year and a half. Um, my my room is decked out. This is a Washington. You're literally drinking out of a Washington State cup. Like this, I, I don't hate Washington State. I get right. that. I actually, for a while when I was there, I decided to not talk about them anymore because I got hate from football players in my classes. But mm-hmm. I'll say this: I don't think Gage Gubert makes a huge impact for Washington State. I don't think so either. I, I was at the game. I worked at the game Eastern Washington, Washington State this last year. Eastern had people open that couldn't get the ball because Gage was inaccurate with throws. Right. They should have put up more points and potentially beaten Washington State, but their quarterback Gage Gubert 
wasn't accurate enough to deliver the ball and right. uh, operate their scheme. Another interesting wrinkle is the people I've talked to, uh, players on both teams, is it seems like it looks like Gage reached out to Washington State. It doesn't look like they wanted him. It looks like he wanted them. And right. it's a weird situation because Eric Berrier, Eastern's backup quarterback, came mm-hmm. in. They were better with the backup. And it makes Gage look kind of bad that without him, the team got better. Went to the national right. championship. Um, I think this is a guy saying, I want to play again. I'm going to figure it out. I got I got somewhere to go. Right. He had options. He could have gone to Utah. Utah is, uh, Troy Taylor is the offensive coordinator at Utah. His last job was Eastern Washington coaching Gage Gubrud. Yep. If he believed in Gage Gubrud, he would have trade. He would have he would have said, "Hey, come play at Utah." He didn't really want him. Yeah. And so I'm I'm not convinced that Gage Gubrud is really a, a huge deal. Um, I just I don't know. I I think honestly, if you want to be an NFL quarterback, which I imagine he he thinks he can be, right. I don't know. I don't. It seems like a great guy. Um, I would have gone to Utah. I think Utah's a better culture, better coach. Um, I think he chose Washington State out of desperation not because they really wanted him. And that's a big, big issue. Um, I think he chose Washington State or was looking at Washington State um, just simply because of the fact, like we talked about, the Washington State quarterback has so much command over the offense, has so many different options in their scheme. It makes the quarterback look absolutely amazing. And coming off of injury, getting a job back from a quarterback who just went to a national championship, very hard to do. The and guys, so trying to, tra- trying to earn that back and then earn back the locker room. Because as a quarterback, mm. you have to have yeah. the locker room on your side. To earn back the locker room, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that are challenging there. And it's not to say he's stepping away from adversity yeah. by any means. Because sometimes you, need to, you just have to go find another opportunity. Yeah. And I don't think Utah's the pick. And I think part of the reason why his old offensive coordinator might not have wanted him is maybe he saw those things, like the inaccuracy in passing. Yeah. But... Also, Utah's quarterback is talented. Tyler Huntley. And, yeah, and their scheme is, you know, like you mentioned, it's centered around ball control, being conservative, and they want their quarterback to be able to make plays with his legs, which Huntley can do. Engage and I don't think the same ability. I, yeah, not anywhere near the same ability. So I think that it wasn't I, – I wouldn't say it's as much as their offensive coordinator didn't want him. I just don't think Gabe fits the scheme and what they want to do at Utah. I uh, I think he also looks at Washington State and the guys they have there. The two top quarterbacks at Washington State right now are Anthony Gordon and Trey Tinsley. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been around the program. I don't I don't get the sense they like me very much because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm honest about them. Uh, they're they're knuckleheads. They don't really get things done. Uh, Trey Tinsley had in the uh, San Jose State game. Trey Tinsley mm-hmm. had a chance to go in the game. His knee pads weren't properly aligned, and he missed out his opportunity. So instead, goes Anthony Gordon, throws an interception. And I watched throughout the season, there were times where Anthony Gordon wasn't on the travel team, uh-huh. and he's out partying, posting pictures. Look, dude, live your life, whatever. But when your team's literally playing a football game and you're posting at the same time parties, I don't, I just don't think that's the guy to lead your program. I, I, it's personal. I don't know. Right. Um, but I don't look at Anthony Gordon as the answer. I don't think Trey Tinsley's the answer. And I don't even think Gage Gubert's the answer. I don't think anybody. Um, I, I think Washington State's in trouble at quarterback next year. Um, I could be wrong. They're bringing in a freshman recruit. I can't remember yep, his he's name. He's er, an early enrollee. I can't. A guy from California. Something. Something. Cooper. Oh, that's Cam Cooper. No, he's been. He was there last year. Mm-hmm. You know, Cam Cooper's a left-handed kid from Utah. He was on the roster. Got long hairs there last year. They have an early enrollee, a guy from California. I forget his name. I don't really care. Um, it, it might be Cam Cooper. They might start young, have him as a sophomore, get three years with him. Yeah, I think Cam and Cooper can end up being the dude for him. Yeah. Um, Makes sense to me. Here's the advantage with Cam and Cooper is you get more years with him. Yeah, you get more years with him, which 
I don't think has proved to be incredibly, incredibly important. I think it does because if if you have a or senior for, for Leach's system, sure. But if you have a senior and a sophomore tied, um, why not go with the young, a younger guy to get more out of him later? His ceiling's right. higher because you get more years of him. I, I would think. Technically, I, yeah. I don't think Leach really cares. I think Leach wants whoever can run the Leach, offense. To the Leach best will play ability. whoever is best. It does not matter whether you're a senior because I mean he had the. Uh, I'm not sure how much better Minshew was than the other quarterbacks. You watched more. You were much more involved in yeah. you know, the Washington State football. But Minshew only had one year. Yeah. And he was willing to start him because he gave him the best chance. And I think that's what Leach is going to do. Whoever gives you the best chance is who's going to play. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, if you go back to Gabe, Gage Gruber and Gardner Minshew, the difference was Washington State went out and pursued Gardner Minshew. They said, we're in trouble. We need a guy who understands the air raid system. I think it's a lot more of the case that Gage Gruber reached out to Washington State um, I, I will say this. I hope, hope Gage succeeds. Mm-hmm. I I mean no ill will. I'm, th- I'm sure he's a great guy. He, people say he's had a, got a great understanding of football. They say mm-hmm. he's really nice. Um, it's also worth noting he got arrested at Eastern Washington. He had some problems with that. Um, I, I just, I, I'll say it. Look, nobody expected Gardner Minshew, the graduate transfer at Washington State last year, to do, have the year he had. Not at all. And it's possible the same thing happens with Gage Gubrud. I'm not convinced that will. Um, I, I don't, I would be surprised if he had a great year. But look, it's happened before. Maybe it happens yeah. again. To me, it's up in the air. Obviously, I wish him success. You never want to wish no. anything negative upon somebody. Yeah, I agree. Um, but just seeing the drop off from having Kendrick Bourne and Cooper Cup to not as much talent and kind of seeing his performance drop off, I don't know where he's going to be at. So as I mean, an analyst, they were, and they yeah. were an FCS playoff team. Yeah. And then that following year, they didn't make the playoffs. When he didn't have the help, they didn't make the playoffs. And exactly. then when he got hurt, they did and went to the national championship. Eric Berry is a great quarterback. He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to say, I want to move on to this. And the last topic of the day is Washington State University has extended their head coach, Mike Leach's contract mm. through 2023. Mm. And uh, I, I think we are very, we're on opposite points of this. I think it's a good move. You don't. Why don't you like this? I don't think it's a horrible move. Um, ah, man. I just think, you know, Leach has been there since what 2000 2012 Mm -hmm. 2012 yeah they've been seven and seven in bowl games since then so i mean again so he's been there since 2012 he's had seven years there or six years there already going on seven Mm -hmm. um yes they had an incredible amount of success this year yep but it took them a long time to get there and yes they did get there but i think that the air raid offense and the air raid scheme has its limitations Mm. And I think part of that being in the Pacific Northwest is weather. You know, they oh, yeah. have the Pac-12 championship. You know, it's not great weather. They lose the game. Yep. Um, and it's not necessarily to say that, like, weather will dictate whether they win it did. or whether they don't. I, I, I operated a camera at the Washington State UW game, mm-hmm. and it was snowing and wet. Yeah, they can't, and they they can't throw the ball. All they do is throw the ball. And so and, they couldn't run, and it really hurt them. Yeah, Again, hurt yeah, weather them. matters. Right. And, you know, Leach has been 49 and 40. And so I just, I I think that signing him doesn't mean you're going to have bad years. I think you're going to have maybe another good year, depending on what you can get out of your next quarterback and his yeah. quarterback play. Uh, but I think you're going to run into a lot of seven win seasons. I think. Like seven and five. I seven actually, and I agree with everything you said. Like, I think you're right to say that he's got limitations. You're right. The weather matters. I think you and I just have a different belief in Washington State football. Um, I think that's the best they can get. I think it works out for both because Mike Leach isn't going to be successful in the SEC. 
we, we've seen in the past, his offense is kind of gimmicky. Um, I don't mean that in a mean way. What I mean is when you play against great athletes and great defensive lines, his team struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you put him at Tennessee, you put him at Auburn playing against Alabama, LSU, Georgia, right. it's not the same system. It wouldn't be as, uh, wouldn't succeed as well, even if he has better recruits. Right. The reason why Mike Leach is great for Washington State and why Washington State is great for Mike Leach, he doesn't have to play Alabama or Auburn. He can play Pac-12 schools that aren't as talented, and he can bring in three-star recruits, not as talented players, and use his system to win anyways. Right. He can win. He he benefits Washington State because they can win with average talent because of his system. And right. I think that's the best they can get. I just And I think maybe if you recruit better athletes, then now maybe you look at it differently. So, yeah, you're, I mean, the guys who are recruiting, yeah, they're three stars, but the stars don't mean a whole lot. Well, my, Star, my point is this. Stars I, yeah. mean that you went to enough camps. Washington State's not a destination. The, I think you got to have self-awareness about Washington State. It's mm-hmm. not USC. It's not U, It's not even Utah. Right. Washington, Pullman, Washington's a dinky little town, and you're getting yeah, – you're, you're already kind of maxing out with recruits, mm-hmm. and he's winning with average recruits. That's, that's I think, the best you can get. Um, I am, I'm not a big fan. I, I, so I then don't I think, think that – I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, I ahead. think then that also puts a cap on your ability. Definitely. Well, I, think, I don't think Washington State can ever be a college football playoff team. Right. So I'm not a hater. It's, it's honest. I don't think I, they can. If they win the Pac-12 championship, they pretty much automatically are. Sure, but is that going to happen? I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't either. I think you should be happy that you got your coach back. You can have more good years. You're going to win games, go to bowl games. It's going to be good. It's not going to be bad. See, here's the problem is the toughness of the Pac-12 North because mm. you have to deal with Stanford every year. You yeah. have to deal with the University of Oregon who's on the rise. You know, they got Justin Herbert coming back. They've got basically their full O-line coming back. They've got an excellent defense that was young for the past two years. They're getting better. Oregon's going to be good. You've got UW, which has NFL talent, and now you're putting Jacob Eason back there, who I suspect is going to end up being the starter. Yeah, Yeah, the dude's got an absolute gun. He's accurate. He has experience. He played and started at Georgia before uh, Jake Fromm ended up getting there. So you're bringing a guy who has a lot of experience, and I just— I don't think Washington State's going to be consistent. Oh, and you have Utah. Yep. Well, in recent years, Washington has dominated Washington State. With Jake East, Jacob Eason at quarterback, that's mm-hmm. just going to continue. In fact, I think the margin's going to grow worse and worse. Yeah. Um, and so that's yeah. why I think that signing him, signing Mike Leach to more years. Puts a cap on your just, ceiling. Yeah, it's just signing to maybe another eight-win season, but then just more seven. So you're saying you're signing, you're putting a cap on your, your future, and you're saying you're marginal. But again, I think that's if you're Washington State, you gotta just be happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm, it's not gonna I mean, it's not gonna never come apart. You wanna be happy with that, but <sighs> it's just the fact that the reality it's the yeah. reality of Washington State. Uh, I think they're they're happy to win eight games and that they should be. So cool. Uh I guess the last thing I want to say, if if we may. Um this will be brief. Okay. Uh, Roger Goodell made a comment today. He finally or yesterday finally made a statement about mm-hmm. the, that failed play in the Super Bowl. Uh this one will be a be a breakout. This is if you're still listening to this podcast, we'll talk about it. Um, and it's really obnoxious to me that people are mad. They're like, why didn't he comment earlier? He didn't say anything of notice. Um, I think he was in a no-win situation. He had to say something at some point about the Saints. Right. Um, and, of course, he waited 10 days. He let everybody cool off. Um, and I, I just don't think it, it, benef- it would have benefited him at all to make a statement immediately after the game had happened about that missed call. Right. What do you ben- people are just mad and getting mad at you back. Yeah. Um, I think it's unrealistic when people say we should have a rematch. Yeah, it's very unrealistic. It's silly. Oh, you made this point early in the, the pre-production meeting. You said, what if the Rams win? <laughs> then what? Or so what if the Rams lose the rematch? Yeah, and then now the Saints are going to the Super Bowl. And there's missed calls all the time during games. Is that one very egregious? Yes. Yeah. 
but say you replay that game now the saints win the rams are like well we just got cheated out of the super bowl are you gonna go play two out of three now and like the winner of the rubber match you know gets to go i mean that doesn't make sense and then you also have to think about the production process of the super bowl in terms of marketing and business and sales yeah. You not, can't push back the Super no, Bowl. No, you don't just push back the Super Bowl at all. And then now you got the Patriots. Now they have to wait another week or another two weeks now to be able to play a game. Yep. And so now they're going to be rusty. And it's not just well, one Well, they'll also week. have more time to prepare, too. It's weird. Like, you give the Patriots three weeks to prepare and the Rams, too. Like, that doesn't work. And then the NFL season is already long enough. Now you're risking more guys getting injured playing these re yeah. All I'm saying is Roger Goodell's statement doesn't mean any, whether he said anything or not. I, there's nothing that you can do or could have done. Yeah. The call wasn't made. I think it was egregious, but there's really is nothing you can do because well, there's no yeah. there's no logical way to go about no, it. No, you you can't. It's over. Like you can't change it. You it's can't over. rematch. It's just unrealistic to say that. Another thing too, it's uh, it's interesting is the Saints had after that play was after that call was made, mm-hmm. the Saints still had an opportunity. They played defense at the end of the fourth quarter, gave up a field goal. They had a chance to stop the Rams on offense. They, did. they didn't. Then in overtime, they got the ball first. And through an interception, they and had Drew two opportunities. Brees, I have never seen Drew Brees throw a pick like that. He closed his eyes, was getting sacked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, do, I've never seen Drew Brees make a mistake like I that. I feel bad for Saints fans. I understand, but I think mm-hmm. they're kind of whiny and annoying when they say, "Oh, we're victims." Like you had two chances to win that game after Saint, that play happened. The Saints very much had control of that game. Yes, and, and now if that play call is made, are they in the Super Bowl? Yeah, probably. There's right? a good yeah because that was that was what third down. Yeah, and they had to punt. They had to kick a field goal. Kick a field goal, yeah. So, I mean, but if they get, so if the if the call was made, they would have had first and goal with two minutes to burn. They could have kneeled three times, kicked a field goal, given the Rams the ball back with four seconds left. Mm-hmm. That's what would have played out. Yeah. But like you still again, you had defense, you had overtime, you didn't win the game. Yeah. Move on. I don't know. Three yeah, matches annoying. Is. Hey man, uh, thank you for coming, dude. This has been yeah, of course. It's been long. It's been really good though. I'm really uh, I'm proud of this. I've yeah, wanted to do this for so con- long. Yeah, it's fun. It's always good to talk with you. Got any thoughts at the end? I just, I love this. <laughs> Man. Um, no, nah, not really any thoughts. That's awesome. Though. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, you're one of my best friends in the entire world, and I love doing shows with you, and I hope we do this again someday. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't know if people did. Uh, maybe we're droning and annoying. I, I literally, I have no <laughs> idea. I'm very curious to see what people think of this. We'll see the response. Um, as always, remember you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on YouTube, and on SoundCloud. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube. You can Ooh. also find shorter breakout clips, uh, like 30-second clips, uh, sorry, five-minute clips if you want. Uh, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you. I have news coming soon. I can't talk about it yet. It's been like a crippling fear, uh, but we will talk about it very soon. I know what it is. You do? Uh, I'm so excited, man. I, I just I want to announce it. I'm excited for you. Dude, I was on the phone for that, I know. two weeks. Yeah, that's a, And that's a huge step like that. Yeah. Well, I'm I can't, I can't wait. To, I, I wish I just I can't talk about it until it's a done deal. I just don't want to be yeah. that guy that like I announced it and then I'm like, oh, by the way, yeah, it's I not working out. And maybe um, I'll make the same move. I would. Dude, doing it with you would be, you, you know, <laughs> oh, man. You, I, love you, man. Appreciate yep. you guys. Thank you so much. But um, bam, we are done. Bye.